Radio Roger, hit it. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 578. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 22nd of July, 2023. In today's episode, a truck parked under an Air Canada plane catches fire. A Cessna jet crashes in California, killing six people. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, The Wood Duck, Part 2. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 578 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's the most entertaining educational non-air traffic talk aviation podcast in the world. Covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based somewhere in the United States of America. And joining me from his studio in in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, and semi-professional lawn bowler. It's Captain Nick. <laughs> Lovely to see your sunny disposition, Jeff, uh, when it's a cold, wet, and miserable day here in the United Kingdom. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, let's find out what it's like up in uh, Canada. From her studio in Toronto, uh, province of uh, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our lovely producer, Ms. Liz Piper. Hello. It's a perfect summer's day here. Sunny, warm, not humid. It's beautiful. Ah, We'll have yeah, to all right. Bell. Rub it in. <laughs> nice. All right. Very good. Okay, well, guys. Have a good show. See you yeah. later. Well, thanks. Okay, Liz. And uh, let's move right on into aviation news. Stand by for news. All right, we're going to start off with this from the KTLA.com website. Uh, Six people were killed when a jet crashed near the French Valley Airport in Murrieta, not Marietta, Murrieta, California, early Saturday morning, making the second deadly crash at the airstrip in less than a week. According to the FAA, the Cessna C-550 business jet crashed just north of the airport around 4.15 a.m., so in the wee hours of the morning. 
the 45-minute flight, which had uh, departed from Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas, went down in a field and burst into flames. All right, we have a little bit of uh, of uh, audio that we can play. Head approach, station A19, we just got the updated weather. It looks like we're going to the RNF. Thank you, Romeo. I understand you're looking for IFR pickup for French Valley? Hey, for me, when I kill Romeo. Thank you, Romeo. Clear to French Valley via direct take move. Descend to maintain 6,000. Direct take to 6,000, 8, when I kill Romeo. Thank you, Romeo. You said you had the weather in uh, Nota French Valley? Hey, for me, when I kill Romeo. Thank you, Romeo. You're 8 miles from take move. Cross take move at or above 4,000. You're cleared for the. Uh, our nav approach runway one eight at uh, French Valley. I got a four thousand six hundred at or above at Tickmo cleared for the R nav one eight for French Valley eight one nine kilometer. Yo Romeo, just advise Tickmo establish inbound place. Well advise Tickmo establish inbound eight one nine kilometer. And eight one nine kilometer establish inbound at Tickmo. Uh, thank you, Romeo. Great, thanks. Uh, next uh, change of is approved. Uh, report cancellation to IFR. Uh, you might be able to reach me on uh, frequency 4.0. If not, you will have to call the uh, 800 number with your downtime. Please do not forget to cancel. I'll cancel. I'll call the 100 number. Thank you, Romeo. Roger. Thanks. Talk to you. Thank you, Romeo. Roger. Same intention. Sounds like they did a miss. First Thank attempt. you, Romeo. Roger, just uh, comply with the published miss. Continue to maintain uh, 5,000. Your direct uh, Jessic. And I kill Romeo. Roger, uh, Jessic. You're uh, still cleared for the uh, RW Biz Pro Trolley 1 8 at French Valley. Thank you, Romeo. Just advise Jessica inbound. Thank you. We'll advise Jessica inbound. And thank you, Romeo. Uh, one one mile south of Jessica. Uh, cross Jessica. That about five thousand. I do the procedure turn if uh, that's uh, your discretion. Uh, Jessica. That about five thousand. Cleared. Uh, R nav. Uh, GPS protocol. One eight French Valley. Uh, Jessica. That about five thousand. R nav. One eight French Valley. Anyone I kill, Romeo? Uh, would you like to switch advisor? Thank you, Romeo. That's fine. Uh, you're out of uh, TIGMU. Uh, change of rights frequency approved and uh, still the same thing. Uh, report count station, uh, IFR, airborne on the ground through the 800 number. If you can't reach on this frequency. And uh, we'll talk to you in a bit. We're switching. I'll talk to you in a bit. Thank you, Romeo. All right. I think that is it from the ATC communications. Um, let's see. Deputies located an aircraft fully engulfed in fire, the Riverside County Sheriff's Department said. Six occupants from the plane were located and pronounced deceased at the scene. The crash caused a small brush fire that crews were able to extinguish in one hour. The identities of the victims were not immediately released. Uh, they were confirmed to be all adults, and the pilot was a certified commercial pilot, according to the NTSB. Heavy fog blanketed the area Saturday morning, causing poor visibility, which may have caused the aircraft to... It was dark and foggy. Pardon me? So it was dark and foggy. Yes, it was dark and foggy, uh, and uh, poor visibility may have caused the aircraft to miss the runway by several hundred yards. 
The pilot reported to air traffic control that he would be performing a missed approach, which we heard, uh, which generally happens when a pilot cannot clearly see a runway, NTSB explained at a press conference. Preliminary information indicates the airplane crashed short of French Valley Airport during its second approach at 4.15 in the morning, uh, crashed 500 feet short of the runway. By the time uh, authorities arrived at the scene, most of the airplane had been consumed by flames. Um, of the heavy fro- frog, eh, there's a heavy frog there too. Uh, <laughs> of the heavy fog frequently seen in the area, it's almost like a whiteout if you're in the hills, said Patrick O'Neill, manager of Moon Valley Nurseries in Marietta. Uh, you couldn't see probably two to five feet in front of you. It's almost like you're driving blindfolded. Um, so there you go. Uh, looks like, uh, it's, um, a case of trying to get into an airport when the weather conditions, especially the uh, visibility were not quite good enough to do it safely. The RNAV approach, uh, takes you down if they're flying, uh, to the, uh, LPV minimums, the lowest minimums on this, uh, approach, uh, 250, feet uh, above the ground is the decision altitude. Um, they requ- This requires seven-eighths of a mile visibility. Sounds like it was lower than that. Um, and uh, French Valley, uh, California, it's located in Riverside County. Uh, it's uh, very high terrain. Uh, you'll see on the approach plate that we're displaying uh, that uh, to the right, on the right side there, there's a pretty high peak, 10,834 feet, not far from the uh, airport itself. So it's in a valley and, uh, yeah, a lot of high terrain and uh, just very dangerous conditions to be flying in early in the morning, dark and foggy. Absolutely, Jeff. Uh, it's interesting that he uh, did a go around and then made a second approach, and that was the one uh, that. Uh, caused the mishap. Uh, I'm just going to mention here that when you're looking down through fog uh, at the ground, um, you can often see the ground sometimes uh, quite clearly, uh, particularly if you're just in a go around and um, you, your vertical visibility below you may only be a, f- uh, a couple of hundred feet or so. And all of a sudden, uh, it, during the go-around, you're going, oh, look, I can actually see the airfield there. Look, it's, it's, looks, it looks like it's quite clear. May lead you to think that if you make another approach and just press on a bit, perhaps, you'll be able to get enough visual cues to complete a safe landing. Forgetting that, the vertical visibility is not, not the same as the slant visibility, which you have to look through when you're low down on an approach looking forward, because you actually need much more visibility looking forward through the fog than you do when you're just looking down on top of the airfield, where the fog is literally may only be 100 or 200 feet thick. Um, and this has led to a lot of people assuming that they'll be able to come visual. Uh, and I'm not saying that this is what happened here. This pilot may have been well-educated in it, but it sounds like he pressed his minimums, came well below his minimums. Possibly he had a mishandled uh, a second go-around, but I doubt it. He completed the first one quite satisfactorily. Um, and, um, you know, assumed he would be able to catch sight of the airfield before he got too low and perhaps while concentrating out of the window, 
rather than uh, checking his instruments and keeping a close eye on his altitude. He just left it too late and he couldn't recover. Yeah, and a good point made uh, regarding the uh, vertical visibility and slant range visibility, which can be entirely different things, and uh, and there usually are. Um, and I've, I've seen that same effect where you fly right over the field on the miss and you look down and look, oh, yeah, I can see everything. <laughs> yeah, then you come back right. in and uh, you can't see anything when you're you know at <laughs> exactly, a three-degree yeah. glide path. Yeah. Funnily enough, uh, night can be an advantage because uh, unlike uh, some light conditions, if you're trying to make an approach into fog when the sun's against you, uh, that the, the the bright sun uh, can make things a lot worse. Uh, you really does become very hard to see through the uh, the fog. Whereas if you're at night uh, and the the sunlight, the runway lights can penetrate a lot easier. Uh, or if the sun's behind you, it can help illuminate. But he didn't have any sun, but he did have the approach lights. Uh, I'm assuming, and I don't know what kind of approach lighting they had there, but. Uh, oh, they had uh, Runway Edge and Merle. I can't remember what Merle is, M-I-R-L. Medium intensity runway lighting. Okay. So you didn't have anything really fancy, no running rabbits, uh, you know, no, none of that. In very complex uh, lighting systems that we have in major airports, which would have made us a problem of visually acquiring the uh, airport a lot worse. Yep. All right. Well, uh, we'll kind of keep our eyes on this, uh, see if uh, we have any uh, further developments, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. Yeah. I, I was just also going to mention he's coming in through some pretty high terrain, and it's it's so sad that he's successfully navigated his way in mm-hmm. through what could be pretty dangerous stuff. He's got high ground around him, only ten thousand, you know, a few miles away, ten thousand feet high, and the other side of him, four and a half thousand feet. He's flying over a piece of high ground on the approach of three thousand eight hundred feet. So he he's successfully got past all what I would consider the major dangers only to plunk himself down but short of the runway and off to one side. What a shame. Yeah. And uh, six people uh, in total perished. Absolutely. All trusting him. Yep. A lot of responsibility on your shoulders. Um, continuing on with this from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Uh, what would a, an episode of APG be without <laughs> Paddle Your Own Canoe? And uh, I don't know. They seem to have a lot of canoe fires. And Liz seems to think that uh, Radio Roger uh, submitted this news item. Oh, right. Good job. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Um, Air Canada Boeing 777-300 narrowly escapes disaster after truck parked under plane is engulfed in flames. And uh, an Air Canada-operated Boeing 777 narrowly avoided disaster at Montreal International. Uh, on Sunday after a truck was parked underneath the aircraft caught fire, was engulfed in flames. Ironically, the vehicle was a potable water truck. Yes, I said potable because that is the way you pronounce that word. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that I one know. for a while. I know. I, I just, when I was reading that, I went, oh, yeah, there's my there's my uh, word here. Let me see if I can find the... Potable. That's the way you pronounce it there right it there. Potable. Uh, if you watched, um, you know, the show Jeopardy, uh, as I did for many, many years, you'll know that... 
Potent potables for 200, Alex. Potent potables. Um, so there you go. <laughs> Quit saying potable. It's not potable water. They're not, there's no two T's. I'm sorry. I guess I should play my uh, sound effect, my Jeff's pet peeves. Um, where is it? Ooh, Jeff's pet, pet peeves. peeves. Yep. Well done. Found All right. Two in a row. That's pretty good. I know. It's pretty darn good for me. <laughs> I mean, way above average on finding sound effects, Excellent. sound clips. Okay. Anyway. So what uh, were they doing, Jeff? Toasting their marshmallows and the, the fire got a bit out of control? I, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. I think we have some video to look at here. Nope, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, oh wow, yes. Yeah, so we can see the uh that's yeah, there that's a big fire to be ro- I bet they're roasting like hot dogs roasting. and steaks, yeah, not marshmallows. There's somebody oh, running I, away. Absolutely. Run away. Yeah. Run away. Um so people are driving Jim by. Says the whole world is going to taking poke. videos, pictures. Yeah. Did anybody think to get a C- fire extinguisher? the uh, vehicles. Yeah, and then like I guess uh, you, the the front cab of this uh, Ooh, vehicle Ooh, is uh, engulfed in flames, so it would be kind of tough to, to get into drive the driver's seat and drive that thing away from the airplane at this point. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> like to try that. But. And you really can't move the airplane in this position. Uh-huh. This is your hosed. You it's push getting it, well toasted, isn't it? It is. Mm, yeah. Anyway. So there you go. That um, was exciting. That was exciting. Uh, airport operations were briefly disrupted as the fire services dealt with the incident. That's an interesting point here. Uh, when fire services are involved in some kind of a firefighting slash rescue operation, uh, you wonder, well, this is on the ramp. It's out of the way of the whole airport operations. Why would that affect anything else on the airport? Well, you've just reduced your, uh, your, your response uh, capabilities when you have some of your uh, your, your fire rescue equipment over there taking care of something. So that's why out of an abundance of safety, they uh, will usually um, stop operations uh, for a little while until they absolutely, although some major airports uh, that have suffered major disruptions because of an event like this, when their fire service involved have two complete uh, sets of fire trucks so that one can go off and deal with one incident and they've still got enough left on standby to allow full uh, operations to continue. So it depends on the airport and how much they're willing to invest in their infrastructure. Yeah, yeah this is Canada. We're cheap. Uh, flights quickly resumed, uh, even while the fire was still being dampened down. Following the fire, engineers opened all of the aircraft doors presumably to clear smoke that had seeped into the cabin. But looking at the photos of the after uh, effect of this fire on the back end of the airplane, looks like it's going to need a, a quite extensive um, uh, repairs before that thing. I, I would have thought so. Although it's with a triple seven, it's hard to tell the difference between one that's been toasted like that yeah. and a normal one flying around. So, yeah. They'll probably just they'll probably just wipe the soot off, stick it back into service. Okay. Well, okay, what, at what point in the show on. did we get that? Not even a half an hour into the show. Okay. Thank you very much, well, Mr. Airbus. It's all wasted. Well, let's talk about an Airbus then. Um, oh, no, no. Let's not do that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is uh, from the Aviation Herald. 
uh, a LATAM Brazil Airbus A321-200. Registration <laughs> Papa Tango Mike X-Ray Mike. For, yeah, that's not the way you're supposed to be pointing on the runway there. Um, with, uh, let's see, they were operating flight 3300 from uh, Sao Paulo uh, to Florianopolis, uh, Brazil, with 172 Ooh. passengers and seven crew. Landed on that place's runway 32 in heavy rain. Uh, lost directional control, began to turn while drifting along the runway sideways, ran off the left runway edge before coming to a stop with the nose gear on the soft ground and the main gear on the asphalt of the runway shoulder. Uh, though it looks like the, that shoulder is not really stressed for any kind of weight at all, <laughs> based on that picture. I mean, it's not a heavy airplane, but wow, it's gone straight through. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The right main gear broke through the asphalt, became stuck in the surface. The right-hand engine pod seems to barely touch the surface. There were no injuries. The aircraft received damage to tires, wheels, and possibly engine pod. Uh, do have a little... Um, footage uh, video footage of this that we're going to play right now this is from inside the plane from yeah? inside the uh plane and let's listen to uh I, hopefully i'll have the volume up and let's listen to something toward the latter part of the landing roll right before everything kind of goes sideways literally so we have the uh passenger sitting on the right, over the right wing uh area and it's touching down right about now. Okay, just touch down. I notice an absence of engine noise. Do you think they use the reverses? Doesn't sound like no, it. Doesn't. Oh, now I hear it. <laughs> Okay, keep listening. Keep listening. Ah, the brakes aren't working. Did you hear that? Ah, oh, okay. I didn't see so you play that, that again. Up. I was being silly on the okay. audio. Okay, listen. Ouch. Yeah, it sounded like the one of the right tires popped. Now you can hear a lot of noise as it goes <laughs> off the left side of the runway. Oh, why am I laughing? Um, <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it looks or sounds to me like they were putting the, you know, they had the reversers on, they were slowing down just, okay, we should try the brakes now. And then it sounds like uh, it, one of the wheels locked up and, and popped the tire. And that's when it just started lurching over to the left. Um, which it, it was raining, correct? It was raining, was heavy, heavy rain. rain. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there was a lot of water on the runway. And most of these runways around the world um, seem to not have like uh, grooved uh, surfaces or they're not groovy friction overlays. And uh, I'm not sure exactly about this particular spot, uh, but I would imagine it probably doesn't. So, you know, hydroplaning was something that was probably a big factor in this. And, uh, uh, but, I'm thinking if if the tire popped on the right side, it seems like wouldn't it want to go to the right, not the left? I don't know. I'm not sure how a how a deflated tire reacts when in a hydroplaning kind of um, situation. I guess now now that I'm thinking about it, you've lost your 
your Aniskid capability over there on that side. So you're still ha- you still have it on the left side, presumably. So I could see where maybe it would want to pull to the left. Um, I'm wondering if it was the sideways force as the as the aircraft started uh, swiveling, yawing, mm-hmm. uh, the sideways force, and, and just hitting that uh, soft ground that might have caused that. But it looked like they were actually still going fairly straight when yeah, I did. Oh. Look, I think so. I think they were doing. Yeah. They were going straight until you heard that bang, yeah. and then all of a sudden it starts going to the left. I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I was like you. I thought immediately, oh, that's hydroplaning. And also, I was a bit perturbed that it took them so long to get the reverses revved up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, it, it's become normal practice uh, for noise abatement to only select idle thrust reverse for landings. And a lot of companies do that. Uh, but of course, there is the proviso that if you're landing on a very wet runway and looking at the forecast and the actual conditions, it was. Uh, very uh, wet, um, that you need to get those reverses in and start using them as soon as practical after landing because that's when they have the greatest effect. If you wait until you're halfway down the runway and realize that thing isn't stopping very well, you've lost a lot of the potential advantage, not in just time, but in effectiveness of the reverses uh, that you get from w- when you're you know, right at the beginning of the landing roll so and i don't see the reverses deployed on the engine picture that i can see so i'm not even now although i heard the engines come up in rev I, i'm really not sure perhaps they cancelled them when they went off the runway or something but well, how about also but, i don't know if it's the same you know i know you flew the 330 340 series and not the 320 family but i'm wondering if uh, the reason why we didn't hear reverse thrust is because they were hydroplaning at the very beginning and whatever um, mechanical requirement there is like wheel spin up strut compression whatever it is to signal that it's okay for the thrust reversers to actually actuate i'm wondering if that's one of the reasons why it took so long for us to hear what sounds that sounds like could be a thrust reverse i don't know i i don't think it would be um we had a restriction on uh, the four engine uh, buses on the outboard engines uh, because, of course, the moment arm's a lot greater out there and any uh, dissimilar thrust is going to cause a much stronger euro. Um, uh, the On a two-engine version, like 330, there were no real restrictions. You just needed weight on the, uh, on the gear. Um, uh, there were uh, a few more than just that, but uh, there were two or three... Um, requirements before the reverses would fully uh, deploy but uh, basically weight on wheels and uh, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't have achieved that as long as they had the spoilers uh, they, they deployed correctly um, yeah that's an, another so, assumption maybe they didn't I, I know we've had situations yeah. where because you're hydroplaning and you don't have what's required for the spoilers to be deflected or come out and help you know dump the lift off the wings yeah, it's not a good situation. You need uh, those oh. spoilers to come up and the lift to be off the wing so you have the weight on the wheels and all these other things to work to slow you down. Yeah, it certainly didn't look like they were having anywhere close to the normal rate of deceleration down the runway initially. No. Um, so uh, I'm sure up the front they were starting to worry a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, speaking of problems on landing. Well, speaking of uh, problems on landing, we have... This item from the Aviation Herald, uh, Ahala 
airline Embraer EMB120 registration uh, Alpha Alpha no, six zero no six Oscar Alpha Alpha Delta performing a flight from Garo Puntland to Mogadishu Somalia with thirty passengers and four crew landed on Mogadishu's runway five at twelve twenty three local time in the middle of the day. However, the left main gear collapsed, causing the aircraft to veer left off the runway, spin around, and collide with the airport fence. So we have some video to play. Ooh, and, this should be uh, exciting. Yeah, so watch this. It, it starts is. the airplane at the upper right of the, um, of the screen. So we have the uh, not very good video here, but we, enough to see what's happened here. Okay, it starts going to the left, and whoa, what whoa. a ride. Bam. Yeah. The bloke with the camera, <laughs> a bit brave. Yeah, oh really? Debris bouncing around. Yeah, it looks like a place. plane spotter there, uh, just at the <laughs> one of the airport fences. Probably thinking, "Uh oh, this plane spotting today may cost me my life." <laughs> yes. uh, I'm going to play it again, and so we can uh, see the uh, landing. Everything looks okay until now, and then it's going off the runway, and then boom, right toward the plane spotter with the camera. And a big oh, yeah. giant piece comes down very close. <laughs> yeah. There's still pieces a, flying. A wheel off. or something bouncing off. <laughs> yeah. So, what a great camera uh, vantage point uh, for, for this. I'm glad that they captured this. Um, let's uh, continue with the uh, narrative on the Aviation Herald website. Uh, the aircraft sustained uh, substantial damage with the cockpit partially separated from the aircraft. Uh, there was one minor injury reported. Uh, Somalia's CAA confirmed a Hala Airlines Embraer 120 veered off the runway on landing, resulting in minor injuries only. An investigation has been opened. And uh, apparently I've heard stories that uh, they're going to have to use the really super-duper um, speed tape to uh, <laughs> uh, reassemble. Flex seal. Flex seal. Oh, yeah, the flex seal, uh, flex seal flex stuff seal. Uh, mm-hmm. might do the trick in this case. Yeah, a few, few layers of gaffer tape as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that uh, airplane is toast. So um, it says the gear collapsed on landing. So uh, yeah, I wonder what the landing was like. Might be fir- might have been firm. <laughs> might have been. <laughs> yeah. Or if it wasn't on this particular landing, maybe previous ones, and uh, yes, the gear finally said, point, "Okay, actually. yeah." S- somebody somebody didn't fess up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thought they got away with it. <laughs> right. Well, maybe they did. This crew didn't. Yeah. Well, I don't think well, everybody yeah. got out alive. Looks anyway. like, uh, yeah, everybody was alive out of this thing. It could have been a I lot worse. I think for that. Yeah, yeah the and, weather and was no nice. fire, even though there was just the potential for, uh, mm. you know, that thing to catch a light. Maybe so, they were out of uh, gas. You know, mm-hmm. The wings were quite badly damaged. I suspect they have fuel leaks. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. There we go. So, not sure. Yeah. I guess just hard landing and gear collapse and then... Bob's your uncle. Yeah, you're along for the ride. Right. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Into the fence. <laughs> My right. back would have been killing me after that. You would uh, think the, so. These last few bounces before it came to a hold in the fence. Wow. Yeah, Looked look like a wild ride. Yeah. All right. Um, next item is from aviationsafety.net. And this was sent in by one of our APG community members, Tim Qualls in Arkansas or Arkansas, most of us call it. Uh, let's see. I think I, I've started a trend, though. I know more and more people are calling it the 
uh, the correct pronunciation. He is a it's all because of you. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. This involves a, um, an, a Cessna 177 Cardinal, November oh, 3138 nice Tango. It is a very nice airplane. Uh, let's see. It um, Does it say how old it was? Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, on June 26, 2023, about 8.05 Central Daylight Time, a Cessna 177 November 3138 Tango was substantially damaged during an accident near Hot Springs, Arkansas. The pilot was fatally injured, and the student pilot rated passenger sustained serious injuries. The airplane was operated as a Title 114 Code of Federal Regulations Part 91, so an FAR Part 91 personal cross-country flight. According to the passenger, the pilot had recently purchased the airplane. They were flying it to their home base near Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Or is it Elizabethton? I'm not sure. That might be one of those towns where you have to pronounce it differently. Anyway, uh, the cross-country flight began from Las Cruces uh, International Airport in New Mexico after a new interior was installed. On the afternoon of June 25, 2023, uh, last month, about uh, just under a month ago, about 1435, uh, 2.35 in the afternoon, the cross-country flight departed Las Cruces with the intended destination of Avenger Field Airport uh, in Sweetwater, Texas. The flight landed at Sweetwater about uh, 17.53, so getting close to 6 o'clock after being airborne for about 3.3 hours. According to the passenger, upon landing at Sweetwater, the right and left fuel gauges indicated empty and three quarters, respectively. According to the airport manager at Sweetwater and related fueling documentation, the airplane was topped off with 25.8 gallons using the self-serve 100 low-lead fuel pump. The passenger also stated that the airplane's fuel tanks were full before the airplane departed. Uh, according to airplane track data, the airplane departed Sweetwater en route to Memorial Field Airport in Hot Springs as the intended destination. However, due to adverse weather that developed near Hot Springs while en route, the pilot diverted to J. Lynn Helms uh, Severe County Airport in DeQueen, Arkansas. According to the passenger, the pilot set the engine speed to 2300 RPM during cruise and that uh, when he attempted to lean the mixture, the engine would start stumbling. When the mixture control was pulled 1.5 to 2 inches full aft or aft of full rich. Additionally, the passenger reported that they heard a metal metal grinding noise when the pilot activated the carburetor heat hmm, while on approach to the runway at uh, DeQueen. The pilot decided to go around, made an uneventful landing on the second approach. Flight landed at DeQueen uh, about 9.43 in the evening after being airborne about 2.9 hours. According to the passenger, upon landing at DeQueen, the right and left fuel gauges indicated empty and one-quarter, one-fourth. The pilot and passenger overnighted at DeQueen, Arkansas, before continuing on to Hot Springs the following morning. On the morning of the incident or the accident, the pilot and student pilot passenger returned to DeQueen, attempted to refuel the airplane using the self-serve fuel pump. However, they were unable to dispense any fuel after processing their credit card at the self-serve pump. According to the passenger, the pilot then verified the fuel quantity remaining in the tanks using a fuel stick and subsequently determined there was adequate fuel available to continue to Hot Springs. 
according to the airport manager at DeQueen, although the pilot's credit card had been processed, there was no fuel dispensed, and the credit card transaction was subsequently voided. Uh, additionally, the airport manager stated that the fuel pump operated normally when tested after the accident. According to ADSB data, at 7.24 in the morning, the flight departed and climbed en route between 6,000 and 6,500 feet, mean set sea level. According to the passenger, as they approached Hot Springs, the pilot transmitted over the common traffic advisory frequency, CTAF, that they were low on fuel and that they would continue straight in toward the airport. The airplane subsequently had a total loss of engine power as it approached runway 5 at Hot Springs. According to the passenger, the pilot was unable to restore engine power with the throttle and mixture controls full forward. Ignition start switch selected to both magnetos, fuel selector handle positioned to use fuel from both tanks, and the carburetor heat on. The pilot also increased airplane pitch and established best glide airspeed of 70 knots, which is 80 miles per hour. The passenger stated she repositioned the elevator trim wheel to a full nose-up pitch trim position while the pilot radioed Mayday on the CTAF. The passenger stated that the airplane subsequently entered an aerodynamic stall while descending through treetop height above the lake and impacted the water in a near-vertical nose-down pitch attitude. Um, So let's see, what else do we want to say? The... um, Aerodynamic stall speed, uh, according to the owner's manual, uh, at full uh, maximum gross weight um, is um, 46 knots, which is 53 miles per hour. And uh, the aerodynamic stall speed increases to 61 miles per hour with the airplane in a 40-degree bank level turn with the flaps fully extended. Not sure why they put that in there. Maybe they must have been trying to do some kind of a turn at the last minute. I don't know. Um, but it uh, sounds like they just got a little bit too, well, sounds like they uh, had fuel starvation and uh, just got really, really close to making it to the airport, but not oh, quite. And sad. they ran out and Very the engine sad. stopped and they let the speed get too low and it stalled. Micah really likes these planes. Uh, Micah in our uh, live audience says the 177 really is beautiful with that cantilever wing. No struts. Yep, they have lots of room inside, almost as much as a 182. Unfortunately, they were never as popular as Cessna expected and didn't sell. But they are beautiful airplanes, and you're right, Micah. They, yeah, sleek-looking machine. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, when, you, when you realize you're not going to make the runway and you're going to do a, a forced landing, there's probably a, an enormous tendency to want to try and stretch the glide to get into a good position but of course it's as we are well aware having covered so many of these um the last thing you you want to do is lose control of the aircraft uh, in a stall close to the ground because uh, you're you're not going to be able to do anything to control the way in which you impact the ground and much better to keep the airspeed you know adjust at a decent gliding speed, perhaps with a little bit of energy just to try and cushion the impact, but not to try and stretch to the point where you end up stalling and, as in this case, you know, entering the water fully in what is close to it, a vertical dive. Just terrible, really. So yeah. I'm surprised that um, there were any survivors. Real shame. 
Now, I wish that um, Camacho or uh, Steph were with us uh, to, because I, I highlighted something here in the narrative, and maybe it's nothing. I don't know. This might be part of the procedure. But I, th- I thought it was odd that the passenger repositioned the elevator trim to full nose up. Um, yeah, I I, may, I, that might be a standard thing to do. I don't know. Well, I don't know either because I, <laughs> I you normally never trim into a stall. If you're doing mm-hmm. practice stall, you, you give up trimming uh, as you start approaching the stall because the last thing you want during the stall recovery is to have that back pitch already set from the right. trim so that you, as you try and recover, you go back into a, a, a second stall uh, inadvertently because, um, you know, as you unload the controls to uh, ease the nose down, unstall the wings with the trim set full up, there's a great tendency for the airplane to want of pitch back up into another stall. So I, I question what was going on there. I really do. Yeah. I, um, in the, it just reminded me of a situation that I had in the, uh, C-141B Starlifter, um, on one of my initial trips in the airplane and we were flying somewhere in Asia, I think probably the Philippines, if I'm correct. Uh, one of our, um, also new pilots was, was flying the airplane. She didn't have a lot of upper body strength and she was coming in for landing and she would use the electric trim to basically flare the airplane. And, uh, the, uh, the Czech airman was not happy at all with that because as what you just said, Nick, you know, if you have to go around and you have the trim set pretty close to the full aft position, you put the power in and that airplane is just going to go uncontrollably nose up and could actually end up you know, crashing the airplane. And if, if you're doing it because you don't have the physical strength to manhandle the controls, you're going to find it very hard to oppose that um, right. force. Yeah. Anyway, so the, uh, again, one of these things where I were almost there, we got really close. We had to divert uh, because of weather. That was a good decision. Uh, but the decision to press on when they had trouble trying to refuel the airplane was a bad decision. Uh, they just yeah. didn't have quite enough to get to. Hot yeah, that's, that's the nub of it. He obviously realized he wanted more fuel, mm-hmm. uh, but not having the patience to try and sort out the, the fuel pump or call a, uh, a Bowser over that, would, uh, that they could um, fuel the aircraft some other way uh, mm-hmm. was a major error. Well, it was the major error here, really. Yeah. Uh, very sad. And they just have the aircraft refurbished, and you know, you think to yourself, oh, all the times, mm-hmm. never a good time. Uh, but you know, it would probably look gorgeous when they uh, were flying at home. Yeah, I bet it did. Yeah, we're going to skip uh, F, Nick, and uh, we're going to save that for when we uh, have Steph with us. Um, so, oh, good, we get to go to Nick's favorite airport again from <laughs> Paddle Your Own Canoe. <laughs> Um, uh, there's always something happening at Lagos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, one of the runways at Murtala Muhammad International Airport in uh, Lagos. Is that the way you say it? Lagos? Uh, yeah, that's the way I used uh, to say it. Nigeria uh, currently isn't fully functional. The reason? Well, some of the runway lights have been stolen just months after they were installed. It's believed that the airport workers were involved in the theft and an investigation has now been launched to arrest those behind this and recover what's missing. So what's the backstory here? 
uh, Lagos Airport has two sets of runways, with one being closer to the international terminal and one being closer to the domestic terminal. In November 2022, new lights were installed on the runway closest to the domestic terminal. This meant that the planes could operate using that runway at night, while previously planes had to use the other runway and then taxi a greater distance to get to and from the domestic terminal. For the past few months, the runway has been undergoing that runway has been undergoing maintenance. During that time, the criminals took advantage of that and decided to steal part of the runway's lighting system. According to NOTAM um, notices to air emissions, so according to a NOTAM, uh, it's actually the PAPI, uh, Precision Approach Path Indicator, lights that were stolen. These lights are important for pilots to be able to maintain the correct glide path while approaching the runway. So, for the time being, pilots are warned that the PAPI lights for runway 18 left are unserviceable. Currently, this restriction applies through October 7, 2023, though presumably that timeline could change depending on how quickly the airport is able to fix this. And uh, this article goes on, what do you do with stolen runway lights? Here's part of the story that puzzles me most, the writer of this article. I can understand what would motivate people to steal things like jewelry, cash, drugs, etc., since those are things that are easy to hide and also easy to resell. But what on earth do you do with a stolen runway lighting system? I'd assume Heathrow and Schiphol aren't scouring the black market to see where they can find some gently used pappy lights. This also seems high risk because it takes some time to steal them, and you also can't easily conceal them. Yet somehow, thieves seemingly got away with this, at least as of now. Uh, then there's the whole question of how bad airside security is at that airport when thieves can literally just steal the runway lights without anyone noticing. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised as this is the same airport where someone managed to jump off an aircraft's wing to hitch a ride just before it was supposed to take off. And also, Nick, you have a little experience with the airside oh, yeah. security there at that airport. Yeah, apparently um, some of the, the local villagers used to use uh, the the ground, the grassy areas of the airfield to grow crops. And they used to come in through across the air, airfield, throw over the fence and go down to tend or to harvest their crops. And I, one day I had a bloke run across the uh, runway. Well, he didn't actually run. He was walking across the runway as we were <laughs> getting airborne. He, he broke into a, a, an unha- unharried, unhurried, trot as we approached him i didn't spot him doing about a well doing over 100 knots and then i suddenly went my god there's someone on the bloody runway (laughs) (laughs) and i thought we'd hit him if not blow him away with the jetty flux it was there was no chance of missing him if i tried to reject the takeoff so we were more or less forced to carry on Mm -hmm. uh but it was never i never got a satisfactory um, even though I told air traffic uh, explanation of what was what had occurred, but yes, uh, it was um, an airfield that lacked a certain element of, of security, which is sometimes quite important. Well, Masha uh, in our live audience uh, from the Netherlands says, uh, "Anyone checked Carlos's back garden?" Oh, yeah, yeah, because he does well, like. It, actually, I was just thinking. I'm wondering if. Uh, the military thought, oh, we've got an airfield uh, up north that we'd like to have some nice pappies at. Uh, these civil blokes don't seem to be using theirs very often. <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we'll pinch them. <laughs> right. 
a lot of military guys around the airport. But uh, that's the only thing. I mean, I suppose you could set them up as disco lights, like uh, yeah, like Carlos, who, who's a bit of a DJ in his spare time, uh, or you know, perhaps you could put them in a bar as strange lighting. Actually, it's a lovely picture there showing exactly how pappies work because if you look at the far right hand one that's pointing quite well up indicating when you were in that light beam it would be um uh, indicating white so that you're above and then as you progress along from right to left the uh, indicators the the lighting body is slowly angled down um so it gives you an idea of how it generates uh, the different lighting colors uh, depending upon your angle of approach. Yeah. But, so, uh, yeah, I mean, they're damned expensive because they're a real specialist piece of kit. So, uh, you know, very expensive to buy, very hard to move on at any kind of a, a profit, I'd have thought. But there you go. Um, let's see. I guess we could also uh, potentially use them as like bar stools or something like that. I'm not sure exactly how big they are. Probably <laughs> a little bit too big for using using them. Wouldn't as they get a little stools. hot on your bum? Uh, yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, well, you know, if it was a cold environment, there would be a, kind of a nice seat heater as well. You know, they probably get a little bit warm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. But now uh, you know why that. I just so enjoy going to Lagos. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't I forget, this is the airfield that uh, the controller insisted that a. Cargo 747 landing, land on a runway that was not only no-timed as having work in progress, but actually had a sort of three-foot trench dug right across the runway. And, of course, as the bloke landed, he ripped his gear off <laughs> uh, and uh, he careered off the side of the runway. Not, in, not exactly his fault because he did question. He said, are you sure you want me to land on that runway? It's no-timed as being unavailable work in progress and the local controller insisted and lo and behold it was night so he couldn't see this trench (laughs) next thing he knew was on the grass that is not good very sad yeah all right well let's get to know us getting to know you getting to know all about you i think they know enough about me now don't they getting Getting to to like like you well there's no chance for that <laughs> yeah we'll do our best though well we do we do try that's for sure and anybody that knows us and spend any time with us know that we are very trying um <laughs> who's starting yeah i'm gonna start because uh i don't really have that much to say I know no that, you've got uh, a lot of pictures to go through well i know but i think i'll i'll save that for you to uh to to manage um, but I, I will say that, uh, I got home from the, uh, the big, uh, England adventure vacation holiday, whatever you want to call it last, uh, Thursday evening. And then, um, kind of took the next day off to try to, you know, reacclimate. And then of course the next day I did my singing. singing at the, uh, St. Peter Chanel Catholic church, uh, mass on, Thursday uh, evening and also um, Saturday Saturday uh, evening. I'm Saturday evening and then Sunday uh, several several the uh, all the masses basically, and so it was nice to get back into that groove and sing. I I had it all bottled up for a couple weeks, you know, so that was nice to get let it all out. 
so to speak. And uh, flying-wise, um, <laughs> I put out a crew log uh, just yesterday or day before yesterday uh, talking about the fact that, uh, yeah, I'm really kind of, uh, I think we the term that we used in the uh, military was I'm getting short. And uh, I'm not talking about my stature or anything short else. Short-tempered, no. Uh, not my temper. No, uh, it's my, uh, I'm getting close to my retirement date and it's getting more and more difficult for me to get motivated to want to pick up any flying and do anything, but just but you did. move you did. on to my next, uh, the next chapter of my life. But I did, I, uh, ended up flying a, a little two day overnight to Charlottesville, Virginia, deadheaded up and then, uh, flew, it was a short layover. And then we yesterday flew. morning. Uh, yesterday morning back to Atlanta, got into the cockpit and thinking, um, huh? Oh yeah. I think I remember how this is all done. I was out of the cockpit for about three weeks and, and yeah, I can't, it's like riding a bike except for it has wings and two jet Did you engines. remember to climb into the left-hand seat? I did. I actually, I, I did take the correct seat. Uh, that, I didn't, you know, embarrass myself too much. Um, yeah. So there you go. Uh, that's what I did this week. Not a lot of flying. I'm, I, I think this is going to be a trend for me in the next several months leading up to retirement. Is I'm just not going to do as much flying. I'm, I'm going to start throttling back or tapering off my uh, my flying activity. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, let's see. What oh, are you doing tomorrow, um, Jeff? Tomorrow evening, uh, Sunday night, in Atlanta at the Papa Delta PDK, Papa Delta Kilo, uh, the DeKalb Peachtree Airport uh, inside the perimeter just north of the downtown Atlanta, uh, KPDK. Uh, there is going to be a meetup at the uh, 57th Fighter Squadron, Fighter Group restaurant, which is located right smack dab on the airport. Nick, you've uh, been at that uh, establishment. Oh, yeah, I loved it. It's a kind mm-hmm. of World War II reenactment spot with all sorts of genuine bits and pieces from world war ii it's got sandbags and uniforms and helmets and jeeps and yeah. all sorts of stuff there it's very nice and a nice uh, little patio that overlooks yeah. the uh, taxiway and the runway good food yeah good food good drink and uh, so why am i mentioning that well uh a320 matt uh who joined us on an episode a few episodes back um is uh I think on the latter portion of his couple of week um, road trip holiday uh, to uh, the United States. And he is going to be in Atlanta tomorrow night. He may already be here. I don't know with his family at the uh, 57th fighter group restaurant. And he's hosting a meetup. And uh, if you're out there and you're a fan of the a three twenty podcast or the a three twenty lounge or Matt, or even APG, uh, you might want to show up. Uh, I plan on attending. Um, not going to get there. Right. I think it begins at 6 p.m. Eastern uh, daylight time. Um, but I'm going to be arriving a little past that, probably 6.30 to 7 o'clock by the time I finally make it down because I'm singing at the 5 o'clock mass up in Roswell. So um, I'm going to get there as soon as I can and uh, join in, to, in the meetup festivities. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Matt again. Oh, by the way, Matt uh, managed to make it to our first meetup uh, meet, meet meet in um, England at the RAF Museum in Hendon. So it was nice seeing you, Matt, there. And yeah, I look absolutely. forward to meeting your family, your wife and uh, two daughters. Uh, looks like they're going to be in attendance as well. So 
that's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're in the Atlanta area and you want to come by for a beer or something and uh, you know meet uh, Matt and his family and and uh, see me and oh Steph I think is going to try to make it as well. We're not sure exactly. That's kind of up in the air. We'll see. Uh, she may have something that will uh, keep her from um, from flying over from Charlotte, but uh, she is planning on being there tomorrow night at the uh, airport. Did you want to talk uh, about Glenn's group. one, or you want to leave yeah. that? To, uh, okay, I would like to do that, Liz. Uh, so um, this is from Logan, um, one of our uh, community members, who will be at Oshkosh, which starts uh, basically. People are flying in right now as we speak uh, to um, the airport up at Oshkosh, Air Venture, EAA Air Venture 2023. And uh, just wanted to mention this for the last time. Uh, Osh 23 is quickly approaching. Yeah, we're almost there. I guess officially it starts uh, tomorrow. Uh, and he wants to make it known to anyone that's attending that they'll be having a quick little meetup at the Brown Arch on Thursday, the 27th at 1030 a.m. We will be taking a group photo beside, besides Glenn's brick. Uh, a Thursday meetup was always something that Glenn organized, and I want to make sure that the tradition continues on for him. Again, that's Thursday, July 27th at 10.30 a.m. in front of the Brown Arch, and you'll see all the other folks gathering there, and uh, that's a nice, um, a nice thing to do for um, a long-time um, Oshkosh Air Venture um, attender, <laughs> attender, attendee, and, um, also, uh, very involved in aviation podcasting. And I, you know, we, we've talked about this on a previous show where, uh, they, uh, many, many people referred to Glenn as the mayor of Oshkosh. So, um, that's a, a fitting, um, thing to do for, for Glenn. And, absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, and then I, I guess we're not going to mention Sim Venture anymore because that uh, is, has come and gone for 2023. Too late, that was she last cried. week. Yep. So hopefully you got uh, you did that Sim Venture thing and you were able to uh, kind of get a feel for what it's like, like right now, for you to be flying in to uh, Oshkosh. All right, and, and that's all I have. Um, my schedule this next week. I'm, I plan on picking up a trip or two. Um, as far as Oshkosh is concerned for myself, I may um, head up there sometime this next week. I'm not sure yet. Um, I'm playing that by ear as well. And uh, one of our uh, community members, Chris Ott, who lives in the area, uh, last year um, he uh, I, we, we, I used his hangar uh, to do a, um, a broadcast uh, using my uh, uh, Starlink dish Um out in the, like on the taxiway of this airport. It was really cool. And, uh, so, uh, Chris was, uh, very generous and, um, extended an invitation for me to spend, um, the night or two, uh, over hit at his place, not far from, from, uh, Oshkosh. So, uh, I have a place to stay, it looks like, and, uh, I may or may not make it up there. Just again, playing it by ear, see what happens. So that's for me. Um, that's all I have. Uh, Nick. How about yourself? Well, I was going to do a little recap of, uh, you know, the Formula One. I, I eventually mm-hmm. processed uh, some pictures, and, and I'm hoping Liz will just start flashing them up, and we can basically relive Liz? a few Liz is going to be flashing us? What? Yeah, she will indeed. Uh, <laughs> and they just start at the top and go down. So um, we were 
positioned very well when we were viewing the racetrack. Uh, you could either just wander out onto a, a nice deck uh, with a glass of champagne or whatever and uh, go faster, Liz. And uh, <laughs> we... Um, we could, uh, we could go up and do a big grandstand where you got a, some great views of uh, the uh, track. Uh, it was a brilliant uh, area to be in. And um, I was able to snap away at uh, these amazing machines that were going round and round. Uh, so, well, I mean, we on the race day itself, we obviously there for a, a practice days and then the qualies. Race day itself uh, was quite exciting because there was quite a bit of rain in the morning. And uh, the uh, I think it was Formula 3, was it? Or is this Formula mm. 2? I can't remember now. Uh, I think it was Formula 2, maybe. Yeah, I they uh, they had a set off under the uh, safety car, and then uh, they went up to full speed. But uh, the track was pretty damn wet, and they had wet tires on. Um, um we uh, we saw some of the drivers up pretty close after they'd <laughs> had technical malfunctions and had to climb out. So that's uh, yeah, that Mr. Was the, Magnuson, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. It's uh, the Dane. Uh, Magnuson uh, drives for Haas, and uh, that was during, I think, the uh, first part of Qualies. Uh, that's right, yeah. They red flagged the end of Qualies, which I think upset a yeah. few people who tried to get one of their good laps in. But um, I was uh, able to see. Oh, look! They had the red arrows as well. Uh, that mm -hmm. was uh, this is the aviation part of uh, the formula. <laughs> there one, we go. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You get a picture, and you get a picture of Grumpy Jeff because mm -hmm. I think uh, um, his favorite team had probably just been overtaken by somebody. Or uh, and there's Happy Jeff because uh, Mercedes is doing much better now. <laughs> We're in third. <laughs> And this is the fabulous uh, marquee that we were in where uh, they, they served the most wonderful food and drink all day it was. And Jeff uh, getting high on PIMS. Do you <laughs> normally drink PIMS, Jeff? Uh, do I normally? Uh, yeah, no, you don't have no. it at home very often? No, and it was like really super sweet, um, like iced tea, lemonade. Uh, I mean, I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't really even taste the PIMS, actually, the way they concocted this uh this mixture that's very true i mean it's very much a summer drink so uh, lots yeah. of that and that's jeff doing some editing while we're all sitting down enjoying ourselves and sipping more champagne and table mm -hmm. f15 uh, we were at the eagle table that day mm -hmm. no doubt about that and uh, then of course we did a show so there's a few pictures of us uh, doing uh, the apg show at captain niger's place uh, trying to solve a few technical hitches. Nigel is completely oblivious of anything. <laughs> oh, and this is at the end uh, with uh, Nigel's uh, huge collection of Oktoberfest uh, beer mugs, having a bevy there. Uh, and Jeff's just showing us uh, the size of his um, organ, or is that a piano? I'm not sure. Uh -huh. I think it's a piano, yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and uh, are yet doing yet more editing this time to a gin and tonic, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of tonic I noticed there, or is that you just the, the number of gin and tonics you've had? I'm, I'm not sure. I think somebody, I think uh, Nige plopped that uh, six pack of uh, tonic <laughs> there on the table, but that's oh, true. And Nige and Lou cooked us a beautiful uh, Sunday roast. Uh, and that's a good old leg of lamb, very traditional English. Uh, and he took us to the most wonderful pub which is uh, built into a, a folly that is on the um 
on the position of a, a major battle of the uh, War of the Roses, the Civil War that occurred between the, the Cavaliers and the Roundheads, the Royalists and the Parliamentarians uh, in uh, in England. And this, that was called Edge Hill, I think. It was actually literally yeah. at the edge of a hill. <laughs> oh, look, there's the two old men. Oh, indeed, there's the view from... Uh, there's the two old men. There's... The... <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep up now, Liz. There's the view. Captain Jeff's about to leap over the edge. It was quite a steep drop down there. But yeah, it doesn't look like it in this photo, but it was. It's, it's a very steep drop off there, right behind me. Indeed, and the uh, the uh, sorry, the Cavaliers made the big uh, mistake of coming off their high ground to go and meet the the Roundheads, and whereas they would have, you know, thrashed them otherwise. We had a meet up while we were there. This is the Great Northern Meet Up, or slightly North Meet Up. Um, and uh, we had, uh, oh, this is Andrew, who works for the BBC and is uh, a producer. I don't know who that old man is, but uh, I think he was a gate crasher. And uh, <laughs> Neville, Neville Bounds from PTUK was there. Uh, if you just go back to the group uh, picture, please, uh, Liz, I'll try. and. Um, so we had uh, Barry Lennon. Uh, who you'll remember from a couple of plain tales. So, you know, the four KFIs in a bar and uh, his story of uh, flying a lightning um, straight at the um, East German border uh, in Germany. Um, Andrew um, Neville. Uh, and can you help me out with a few names now? I know yeah, we've got was, Ruben on the end. Yeah, Ruben was, over there on the left side. And then in the middle there, that's Chris. Um, ah, yes. Starts right. with a, his last name starts with a P. I can't remember exact. Postal? Yeah, Chris Postal. That's um, it. Yeah. Chris, brilliant. And uh, he was wearing a fabulous T-shirt uh, with the generations of uh, Grand Prix uh, racing cars uh, all over it. So it was a very pleasant uh, evening drinking um, hooky beer out of the uh, out of a barrel and uh, we indulged ourselves and bought a whole bunch of pizzas delivered and uh, sat there and munched and everyone seemed to have a good time so that was definitely worth doing <laughs> Jeff got <laughs> drunk uh, and um, then after that he decided he was going to join a monastery and live his life in darkness from evermore yeah, it, it, it was a, a huge uh, amount of reflection for me while I was there. <laughs> and so that was that's a quick recap of uh, <laughs> the fantastic time we had when Jeff came over to uh, host uh, me at the F1 Grand Prix. It was just a fantastic. Episode. Well, and then you and your lovely wife Jilly hosted me at your beautiful uh, manor. And also, uh, thanks again to Nigel and uh, his wife Valerie for putting up with us and, uh, or at least Val Valerie or Lou, uh, uh, for putting up with us at the, their beautiful home up in, um, outside of Bambury, um, Tad Martin. Or, That's right. Yeah. Ox for sure. Or whatever Ox it is. for sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, uh, yeah, Nick, yeah. Uh, what have you been up to? Um, I know I, I got a chance to catch several, uh, bowling matches while I was there and it was really fascinating for me. I, and, uh, Nick, I, we thought maybe it was my presence there giving him a, a good luck charm to win all these matches. I mean, he, he we talked about that on a previous show where he played some really good players and beat them, and people were kind of like uh, not believing it. And uh, but uh, I 
guess my presence really had nothing to do with it because you have continued. Say so. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, you've continued to win everything that you're playing um, since well, I've left. So so far, so far, so good. Not everything, but uh, there's certainly the singles uh, competition that I'm very interested in doing well in, which is uh, a county competition. It's the you know the big county competition, the uh, the, the major singles. Uh, trophy you're playing for uh open to all the players in the entire county and um i got through finally to the last eight players Woo-hoo. and um as a result uh i qualified for my county badge uh and that's what it looks like and that complements the two badges i got from the other two counties i've played in both surrey and sussex so now i've badged in three counties uh, which is for me wonderful achievement i uh, it's one thing i really wanted to do but uh, i got through my um quarterfinal match uh against a, a lovely chap called bill from bournemouth and um now i am scheduled to play on monday in my semi-final uh get through that and wow well, i'll be in the county finals in the beginning of september which is a big day lovely event where all the finals matches are played and uh you know i'm fingers crossed i can do okay in my next game if i do then that'll be quite something to be able to get through to the county finals this is the first year i've competed in uh the county matches in uh hampshire but uh, really looking forward to that but the tick on the <laughs> thanks the tick on the ball for me is getting the hampshire county badge so uh, i'm chuffed and they've actually invited me to play in a county match uh against oh i think it might be against sussex uh mm. next week so on wednesday so that'll be nice i'll have to buy a yet another county shirt another 30 quid because <laughs> uh, i've got had to, every time you play for a new county you've got to buy a new shirt mm, there you go <laughs> expanding your wardrobe is uh, yeah is i've got a, the, quite a collection of benefits. <laughs> so while <laughs> i was there um sure a, a parcel shirt. arrived in the post and uh, from all the way from australia western australia in fact and uh in it were some special lawn bowls oh indeed yeah absolutely i always um used to love going to my father's bowling club in Perth, Western Australia, uh, the Dalkeith and Nedlands Club. It was in a beautiful spot high up on a, uh, a ridge overlooking the Swan River. I had a lovely view. It was always lovely and cool in the afternoons when the sea breeze came in. Uh, big club, had six greens, um, and artificial as well as grass that they could play regardless of the weather and uh, it was just a delightful place and my father was a member there for many years and uh, he now has his own trophy in his memory they they hold a uh, an annual triples competition uh, for uh, you know the Andy Anderson Cup um, wow. anyway um, yeah so uh, Carol his uh, his wife has you know donated prize money for that so uh, people play for a bit of money but anyway it was lovely and i always admired his bright red bowls that uh, he played with particularly since they you get a you have a symbol engraved on the side of your bowls um so that you can tell your set of bowls apart from other people's and uh the old man chose to have a jet fighter 
um, engraved on the side of his bowls, uh, and I always thought that was very neat. So, uh, you know, when uh, he passed and they were just sitting in the corner of a cupboard gathering dust, uh, uh, Carol thought, well, that's a bit of a waste, and Nick bowls, so she packed them up and sent them across the world, and now I have them, and I took them out, and I, tre- I actually treasure them because they held so many nice memories for me. Uh, and I thought, well, I'll get, try them out. And uh, I had a, a club singles game to play, so you know, not very high up on the order of, uh, of difficulty. So I thought, well, I'll give these new bowls a try. And uh, they, they fitted my game beautifully, and I played very well with them. I was really chuffed. So uh, uh, I'm very pleased with that. And uh, what a lovely gift and something to look after. And next season, I'm going to play with them all the time. I didn't. Uh, I don't use them in my county matches just in case I get a bit nervous that I haven't learned their track and their, their line uh, well enough yet. But mm-hmm. uh, other than that, next season, I'll, I'll think I'll use them all the time. So can't wait. Excellent. Um, yeah, they, they're really nice looking lawn balls, bowls. Um, what, 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 Liz? Oh, okay. Um, okay. Uh, she, uh, the control room is telling me that uh, she has texted me a picture, which I have somewhere, but uh, thank you, Liz. And uh, let me share my screen so that you can see those beautiful bowls. And there's just so much I can say about all these things, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> yes, they, they are bowls, not balls. Yeah. Because yeah. they're and not the, round. Well, you know, and sometimes uh, yeah. it's, it's just a, a, just a slight. They'd be like misshapen balls, and no one wants to have misshapen balls, do they? Uh, well, I can only <laughs> certainly speak for myself, but I would say uh, no, I, I, I wouldn't uh, want that for myself. Okay, there we go. Um, there oh, yeah, are the... The, the said balls, balls. Yeah, that was the the winning end. the The final end, I needed two to win, and I drew two in, closer than my opponent's uh, closest bowl. Uh, and uh, so there you are. You can just about make out the little uh, engraving of a fighter jet in the in the center circle. Let me see if I can that, zoom in on uh, it. Upper. Um. Yeah. There we go. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's sort of in a nosedive in that yeah. position. It is absolutely. But anyway, they're they're super. Uh, nice Taylor red lines. It's I always found it funny that a lot of Australians play with British made bowls, and a lot of British people like myself play with Australian made bowls. Hmm. <laughs> it's always the grass well, like, is always green. Yes, exactly. Except for those little spots of brown. Right there in the yeah, picture. Yeah, that's very true. You see the white on that top bowl? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's been marked as a toucher because it's actually physically touched the jack while it was being played. So, oh, well, good shot. Go. Good shot. It gets chalked so you can tell it apart from the others. Yeah. Okay, it's time for – we didn't really have cover art from last time. We really had a picture, so we don't have cover art this week. Well, that was, that was okay. stunning. So um, – Producer is telling me that uh, because we really didn't have any nice or creative cover art from our last show, I just basically used one of the 
photos, one of the selfies that uh, we took while we were in um, Nick's uh, red uh, scarlet, uh, what, what do we call it again? Scarlet, scarlet Lady um, oh, yeah. in the in the Audi Roadster, the TT. Uh, and I used that for the cover art, and that seemed to suffice just fine for that kind of not normal uh, episode. Um, and definitely abnormal. And, uh, but we're back to our normal. So if you're new to listening to APG, this show today is more, um, in line with what we do. Uh, yeah, it's our normal week. format, a normal format. And, uh, now we usually, uh, like to have more, uh, hosts, uh, on board. Uh, but unfortunately the timing just didn't work out. Uh, summertime's kind of busy for a lot of folks and, uh, you know, so we're doing the best we can, but you got the old folks with you, uh, the retired yeah, airline so. pilot and the almost retired airline pilot here. And of course our, uh, retired, um, producer and, uh, in let's the background, do some coffee fund talking to me in my ear. Okay. Let's do some, uh, coffee fund stuff. Johnny, how much more coffee? Go thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the job and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the coffee fun. It's your way, dear listener, to help us out financially if you have the resources to do so uh, a couple of different ways that you can do that uh, we have the uh, og the classic uh, apg coffee fund classic method which is a paypal donation page and uh, we have now i might be um redoing uh doubling up on this i can't remember if i mentioned all these or any of these people uh, on our last episode so here we go I got Adam Wright, uh, Mazus Karim, Magnus Gladden, Gladden from um, Sweden, and uh, J.A. Linders are all folks that use the Coffee Fund Classic method to give us uh, a nice uh, contribution. And also, you can become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And since the last show, we have a new producer, Giles Robinson. So thank you very much, uh, Giles, for signing up to patron. Uh, Patreon. And so uh, if you want to check out any of these kind of things and want to support us financially, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. I just remembered when I was taking my little physiological break uh, that, and and they're right in front of me. I left them there to remind me. And of course I completely forgot, but I, um, (laughs) They're scorpions, Liz, not cockroaches. Um, So our uh, APG community member, uh, James Graves Brown, also uh, uh, you you can find him at other uh, aviation, uh, fine aviation podcast, uh, Captain um, Notorious Wits Wits or something like that or Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, Anyway. Um, I'm not sure if he's here with us today no, on the live show. Today. No, don't see him. Anyway, uh, he contacted me, I don't know, a few weeks back and said that one of the things he enjoys doing, one of his creative pursuits is uh, uh, doing some um, some artwork. Um, uh, it's hard to describe. Kind of a art sculpturing with copper wire. And he said uh, he would like to make 
some of these for the crew and uh, also one extra to give to uh, one of the PTUK crew members that are uh, that reside here in the United States, Armando. And uh, so I just received the box uh, last week, and um, these are all individually done. I'm going to try to hold this uh, close to the uh, camera. Oh, wow. Oh, don't carefully. You'll sting me. Ah, ah. So this is the uh, this is the biggest one, and this uh, thicker copper uh, wiring, and uh, then uh, let's see if I can wow. find the the smallest one here. There's got a whole selection of a whole uh, uh, menagerie yeah. of scorpions. Here, that's a little. That's one of the smaller ones. And, oh wow, uh, that looks painful. Here's the uh, here's the, the the tiniest of of, of the lot. Oh, that looks a bit of a weedy one. I'd just tread the on that one. The level of detail is amazing, though. Yeah, there is really amazing the level of detail that uh, he puts in. Oh, it's in beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, anyway, um, I am to um, give these to my fellow crew members and Armando uh, whenever I have the opportunity to to see them again. And then, if I don't see them for any period of time, then I'll probably send them, ship them to you in the mail. Um, oh, they're but, beautiful. Uh, yeah, so thank you very much, James. Uh, they're they're yeah, gorgeous. Thank you very much. And uh, we do appreciate your uh, effort and uh, your fine artwork. Can't wait to see them in person. Yep, just be careful. They might bite or snap well, you indeed. or whatever, sting you. You don't want to be stung by one of these things. I have been, yeah. and uh, it wasn't pleasant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not one of these, but uh, a real one. And it was actually kind of the size, I don't even think it was as big as this one here. It was uh, about half that size that got me. With this little, I mean, does thing. it grab older than sting, or is it? Is it just sting you? I didn't see it because it was it was uh, dark, In and I was walking across the um, oh. uh, the the floor, going to my bed, and uh, stepped on what I thought was uh, like a, a pin, like a straight pin. Um, mm. That's what it felt like. Um, and then I turned on the light and saw this little thing with this little. <laughs> little stinger stuck in between the my big toe and the next toe over. And Ouch. I thought, ah, I'm going to die. Cause I thought that yes. everything I've seen, it means that you get stung by one of these things and that's it. You're, you're toast. Okay. <sighs> okay. All right. Let's uh, move on to some feedback. Captain incoming message. All righty. Uh, let's start with this from Robert. And he said, uh, when to ask for help. It's an Instagram video when that cabin door just won't budge. And so let's uh, go ahead and uh, see if I can find the window that everybody's in. There you are. And uh, let me add this to the stream. I think that this is it. Yep. Ah, way too much. I know we don't need the music. Okay, so we see the front uh, part of a um, 737, it appears uh, to be, I think. And uh, there's it's the R1 door, the uh, right side door, uh, f- the first one on the right. And there is a flight attendant struggling to release the, um, the catch, the latch, that, that uh, latches the door to the fuselage. To keep it from, you know, getting caught by the wind and and uh, flying closed oh. and killing somebody. And co-pilot uh, was or first officer was opening his window there, see if he could yeah. help. But uh, I guess he was probably seeing if it was still attached. So you know, where's that latch. the gust lock on 
the, well, the, the, the gust doors. lock is uh, toward the, the front of the door, right behind. Oh, you can't see my cursor. <laughs> it's um, if you go forward to uh, the right side cockpit window, uh, it's it's on that side of the door, but on the side of the door that you know, on the outside of the door, which we can't see. Oh, so she's not doesn't look like she's disengaging it. She hasn't well, there's reached a, over there. I think there's a handle where she was. She had her. Let me, let me back this up. Um, where she was pulling. Yeah, there's that, a it's, there's a handle there that to that, swing uh, the door. that well it also it it um, it moves it pivots and it it's supposed to retract the latching mechanism. Oh, okay. so there's a connection okay. there inside the door that when she pulls that it's supposed to detach or or, or move the latch up I believe, uh, which allows the door to come free from that gust lock, and uh, apparently something's loose. It's not quite you know, moving up the gust lock latch enough for them to, uh, so she's just fighting against the, uh, and I think yeah. that's what the co-pilot was doing. He was the first officer was looking out the window to see if that was the issue there. Gotcha. For, for the, those who aren't familiar, the, when you open an airliner door, it latches open so that the wind can't blow it closed. Cause they're quite heavy bits of kit. They really are very solid. And uh, you don't want them to swing in the wind and bash someone who's in the doorway or trying to exit the aircraft. Uh, and the Airbus, it's a, it's a button you press down that's uh, in the about in the center of the door, and uh, and then that uh, releases uh, the mechanism that's holding the door in place. Uh, it looks like Boeing have a much more sophisticated system that is really smooth <laughs> yes. in operation and uh, easy to manipulate obviously so, uh, we're, we're witnessing well that done here. to the boeing engineers for um, designing that that's wow a good job. that's uh, the second one yeah. <laughs> one, wow. one, one wonders why on earth they had the uh, r1 door open um if they had a, a vehicle there uh, why didn't the bloke um, help them close the door from the outside <laughs> before he left. I'm, I'm wondering <laughs> if it's one of those situations where the, it was hot and they wanted to get more uh, airflow and circulation, so they opened that up. I don't know. Uh, you know I That's wasn't true. There, obviously. That's but, true, uh, but it, when we do that, I mean, we have to be ever so careful. We used to just put the strap. There's a usually a retractable strap that you put through that exit, uh, that stops people accidentally falling out because you fall out that you could easily kill yourself. Um, but we we were told that wasn't sufficient, so they came up with these big nets. They had to hook over the exit just because of health and safety. It's uh, obviously a bit of a hazard having a <laughs> door. <laughs> and and watching this, you know, and, and her struggling with that. I mean, as you said, that's a very dangerous thing. And if you fall out, it's possible oh, you could absolutely. at least break a leg or worse. Yeah, um, I know. You come, well, there was a poor Japanese or a Korean or a lady that uh, spilled out of one of these uh, aircraft and landed head first, and I don't think she survived. So I don't think she did, yeah. We covered that in a previous story, so yeah, be careful out there, folks. Yep. Jeff, before you move on, right. Masha has corrected us. Uh, oh, James ridiculous James. wits, yes. James, uh, Masha has corrected us. It's uh, James uh, also known Graves as, Brown. um, yeah, James Graves Brown, uh, captain ridiculous wits. Appreciate that. Masha. <laughs> um, and, and I've met that James and he, he, he indeed is quite ridiculous and, is, and is short of, uh, a lot of wits. Oh, okay. by the way, it's, it's nearly five o'clock now. So I'm having, Oh, good. 
It is cheers. obviously cheers. Um, I'll just uh, cheer. I'll uh, uh, toast you with my Lacroix. Mm. What's that? Oh, uh, it's a uh, it's sparkling water. Spa. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And let's see. Three items from Sam Dawson. Okay, so let's move on to the Sam Dawson segment of the show. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, let's Couple see. Here. We'll start here with this. Um, in APG uh, episode 574, you ran a story about the Falcon 900EX that r- overran a runway during takeoff. As an addendum to the story, the insurance underwriter, USAIG, is attempting to reject coverage for the damage due to the unqualified pilots who were not named on the policy operating the airplane during the accident. And these attached the mm. article from uh, AIN Online. And USAIG is involved in a lawsuit to reject coverage for an accident in which a Falcon business jet overran a runway, shearing off the landing gear and causing other damage. According to USAIG, the aircraft was operated by an unlicensed pilot and a second that was not authorized to control the aircraft without a fully licensed pilot, in contrast to statements made about who would fly the aircraft. The defendant, which filed a claim on the accidents, meanwhile has maintained that USAIG should cover the accident because the operator did not provide any misrepresentations in writing. Let's see. So it talks about them covering a policy uh, for the 2008 Falcon 900 EX uh, from a period of August 25th, 2020 to August 25th, 2021. Uh, during the underwriting process, USAIG required the aircraft owner, Aerospike Iron, a limited liability corporation, to answer a questionnaire on who would pilot the aircraft. Questionnaires were submitted for two individuals, but not the accident pilot, Scott Kitchens, who was listed as a director of aviation. Uh, so, uh, just a reminder, it was, uh, at the, uh, an, uh, airport near San Diego, the Montgomery Gibbs executive airport, uh, the pilots, uh, kitchens who did not have a valid pilot license and Nathan Russell, whose limited license prohibited him from piloting the aircraft without another pilot license in command, um, aboard of the takeoff, the aircraft ran off the runway into an unapproved unimproved section of the airport incurring more than $75,000 in damage. Anyway, so yeah, they're saying, no, nope, no, nope, I'm sorry. You're going to have to foot the bill yourself there because um, these people weren't on your coverage. Yeah, sorry. the unintended consequences of their, um, their actions really in flying the airplane without the correct certification uh and you know some people might say ah you know it was lapsed or you know only a little bit out of date or i was intending to have it or i was fully capable but but you know it's one of those things you have got to get right i i've no doubt that this insurance company will manage to avoid paying um because of this lapse from the uh, company and the pilots involved I am sure you're right. All right, continuing on with uh, Sam Dawson Part 2. Um, on episode 575, you discussed the ATR landing accident and the captain asking the first officer to take the yoke. Yeah, I thought that was kind of strange. My ATR time was a few years ago, so I apologize for any errors. The ATR has uh, high wings and a narrow main landing carriage located under the main body. Because of this, the ATR has a tendency to lift a wing in a crosswind during the landing roll, so it's imperative that the yoke be kept into the wind. 
The pedal steering also wasn't all that effective as you slowed and the tail lost airflow. So it was standard operating procedure in the ATR after the captain landed for him to say at some point, you have the tops, meaning the first officer was to take the yoke, keep it into the wind while the captain then transitioned his left hand to the tiller. If the FO was landing, the captain would state at some point, you have the tops, I have the bottoms, meaning the FO kept the yoke into the wind while the captain took the thrust levers, tiller, and pedals. On one occasion, as as a first officer, I had a captain who was new to the ATR. He was coming from the Embraer 120, the Brasilia, which had low wings and very wide main landing gear located by the uh, engine nacelles. In the landing roll of the EMB-120, aileron displacement was not very critical as it slowed, so it was common to let go of the yoke and transition to the tiller. Out of habit, he did this to me on landing in a stiff crosswind. The ATR started to roll, pivoting on the main landing gear. I immediately grabbed the yoke and put it in the correct put in the correction, stopping the roll. Fortunately, there was no harm, so no foul, and I think he learned to never do this again in the ATR. As a captain on the ATR, I made it part of my landing brief to remind the FO to keep the yoke into the wind during the landing roll. Keep the sunny side up. Hope to see you on the 4th. Of course, he sent this in before the 4th of July. And I uh, was looking forward to seeing you over there, Sam, but apparently it didn't work out for him. So Yeah, he got delayed and couldn't get there in time. In fact, he had so, so little time, he uh, had to sleep and then go straight off again. So yeah. that was a shame, Sam. Nice to have uh, enjoyed a beer with you. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, you were able to um, send it, because we were kind of scratching our heads about that whole thing, you know, that 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 uh, technique or procedure. Um for like telling somebody to do something with the controls while you're on your landing roll. So thank you for kind of clarifying that for us. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and, and of course, it, I realized it was a high wing and that the wind can get underneath them quite easily. But of course, that combined with the narrow undercarriage must make it quite tricky in a crosswind. <laughs> so Sam has a dog. We've seen Sam's dog before. I think there was a picture he sent in once of, him arriving home from a trip and then uh, the second story uh, window, there is dogs looking out the window like, oh, dad's home. Uh, <laughs> he said uh, this, and he actually sent this to Liz, not not all of us uh, as a group, but we're, we're going to do it anyway. This isn't really aviation related, but I thought you would appreciate the short video of my dog. He's a TV junkie and will spend hours watching anything with animals. Appropriately, his favorite film is the Disney animated movie Bolt. I've told him to uh, standing so close to the TV will ruin his eyes to no avail. And so some evidence of, of Sam's dog um, reacting to uh, the movie bolt is here. (laughs) Oh, he's on his back legs. (laughs) Yeah. He's on his back legs uh, looking intently. And it's only when bolt, the main character, when he shows up, he's the one that he seems to be, really keying on here in the, in the video and gets excited every time he sees him uh, come on the screen. And so he's like jumping up and down, like he's trying to get into the scene <laughs> in the TV. <laughs> so his little no tail doubt. is just, he's recognizing the character. Isn't yeah. He? Cause it's, he's always going for the, the white dog bolt and not yeah. really any of the other one. Oh no, maybe a little bit on that dachshund, but uh, uh, yeah, he likes yeah, the dachshund. He obviously likes a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> well, not really sure what to say about that. Anyway, um, that was great. What did he say? What his dog's name is? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, 
No. No, he didn't. We'll just, we'll just call it Junkie. Oh. Junkie. Yeah, TV Junkie. All right. So uh, thanks, Actually, Sam, that's for a breed them. I haven't uh, uh, heard of before. No. He, he's a TV junkie. Yeah, well, so, they're kind of common over here. Uh, maybe, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Too much screen time. Yeah, that's what a lot of screen time will do for you. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, thanks so for Sam sending that in. That was, was yeah, brilliant. Sam was in the chat room earlier? No, Texas and Oh, LeShop. Texas uh, and Oh, we're we talking about this early. next one. Okay, so uh, let me remove a couple of these videos here and uh, go on to uh, the next piece of feedback from Texas and Lashok. Um, five dramatic airship accidents you've never heard of, and it's from a YouTube channel, a YouTube video uh, entitled Deadly Impact. Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. I've shared a few things from one YouTuber who delves into naval matters. And I've recently discovered another one who does more or less the same thing only for ocean liners, which isn't to say that that's all he does. He branches out into some different topics from time to time. And in this case, he put out a video about a number of airship incidents. It's an interesting watch, but I'm mainly sharing this for the first part of the video. You'll see why. Thanks all for now. May your flights be stable and level. This is Texas and Lashok signing off. Now, I don't know if you're still there, Texas, in our live audience. Uh, but if you are, I I did watch the entire, well, not the entire thing, but at least half half of it. And I and I rewatched it because I it's he says here, I'm mainly sharing this for the first part of the video, and you'll see why. And I I don't get it. I don't know what I'm supposed to be seeing here. So why don't we all watch a little bit of this video. I'm not going to play the whole thing. Um, this video is brought to you by Squarespace. It's, by, it's Ladies and brought to you by Squarespace. Brady from Oceanliner Designs today with a non-Oceanliner video. Have you ever heard of the phrase, what goes up must come down? In the brief nope, time that airships ever. were a popular means of air transport, they were involved in a numerous incidents that shook the world. These incidents ranged from harmless and amusing uh, to British deadly tragedies that forever shook confidence in the validity. <laughs> oh, blunted nose there. Look at this one. Oh, that's an American one. Yes, Here American. five airship disasters and mishaps. Look at from that one. Standing on his face. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to get in trouble playing this. Uh, Number five, but... Los Angeles, 1927. Okay. The USS Los Angeles was a massive Zeppelin given to the... Okay, I, I was born in the uh, Los Angeles area, and uh, but it was after 1927, so I don't think that's yeah. it. United States by Germany as part of war reparations in 1924. She enjoyed a few years of normal service until her incident in New Jersey on the 25th of August, 1927. After being refitted and undergoing repair, the Los Angeles was supposed to conduct an eight-hour flight at 10,000 feet in the air. The airship was docked on the high mast of the Naval Air Station in Lakehurst, New Jersey, preparing for its flight when a breeze blew in from the southeast at around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Rather than spinning to face the wind, the breeze began to lift the tail of the airship high Oopsie. into the air. And it kept on rising by its tail and the men on board were forced to grab hold of the ship's girders to avoid falling over. Suddenly, the ship was standing at a 90 degree angle over its mast. In the engine room at the back of the airship, now high in the air, one of the engineers reportedly shouted, Holy I can see New York. Nobody was quite. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's what he's referring to. The, the yeah, that the famous the phrase. <laughs> anyway, if you want to watch, Holy beep! I can see New York. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to uh, watch the entire thing, we'll have that uh, link in the uh, show notes. I take exception to the title because 
uh, I'd heard of most of those uh, accidents, and mm-hmm. I have absolutely no doubt at all that main man Micah knows of them all. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know okay. who he's talking to when he says five accidents you've never heard of. But there you go. Oh, well, you're much more uh, informed than most of us are, Captain Nick. <laughs> don't, and, don't and, you, and the fact that you lived in, in those days as well is <laughs> also another. <laughs> well, Micah certainly did. I don't know about myself. <laughs> anyway, so thank you, uh, Texas and Lashock. If you're still there, maybe you can write in the uh in the chat there exactly what it was if we got it or not but uh thanks for sending that in um continuing on i mean that last that is ship standing up it was a real that's what she said moment wasn't it yeah very impressive very impressive (laughs) very impressive okay uh feedback from sean h and he says good day captain jeff steph captain rick captain nick and nick here is a link to a video of, and he forgot Liz. Here's a link to a video of a FedEx MD-11 taking off out of uh, Toronto, uh, Pearson International, YYZ. On takeoff, they report their number one engine thrust reverser engaged. I would imagine that would be a real startle factor. Yeah, so, to, so low to the ground at any point, actually. Also with the MD-11 known for its smaller tail and rudder authority, uh, I was also wondering if an emergency like this is covered in your sim training. Thank you all for the great podcast. Talons Douglas, Sean H. And uh, he included a link to a video. And we're going to go ahead and play that now. This is a You Can See ATC, um, much like Vast Aviation, but it's a different channel. And uh, talks about the FedEx uh, cleared for departure, Toronto Pearson. And uh, we've already kind of set this thing up. FedEx 247 Heavy Tower, line up runway 06 left. Keep the Airbus in sight for visual departure. Runway 06 left, line up and wait. Loco FedEx 247 Heavy. I think this was at night. FedEx 247, maintain visual separation. Clear takeoff runway 06 left. Okay, it starts its takeoff roll and uh, becomes airborne. He's heading for my house. Oh, he's heading for uh, Liz's place. Yeah. Yeah. And. uh, 6247, is everything okay? No. And uh, FedEx 247, we're declaring an emergency. Uh, we have an, uh, an issue with engine number one. Yeah, I'll say it's an issue. Six two forty seven, Roger. Uh, what do you uh, what do you require? We'd like to return to the field. We'd like to level off. Uh, probably around three or four thousand here. FedEx two forty seven, uh, Roger. Okay, continues straight ahead. Two forty seven, contact departure one two eight eight. One two eight eight, FedEx two four seven. Toronto departure, FedEx 247, emergency aircraft. We'd like to level off around 4,000 feet here. Our number one uh, thrust reverser has engaged. FedEx 247, Roger, level off at whatever altitude you require, and would you like to uh, turn back towards the airport? Affirmative, we'd like radar vectors back to the airport, and uh, we'll, we'll let you know when we're ready. FedEx 247, turn left, hitting a 300-300 heading. Left turn, 300. Okay, are you uh, wanting to go back in immediately, or do you need some time? We need some time. 
Uh, but turning left are now heading 300 FedEx 247. Gather in the turn. FedEx 247, as you are able, continue to left-hand turn, all the way around left-hand turn, 240 heading. Left turn 240, now FedEx Next 247. Roger, and if you need to return to the airport immediately, you can have whatever runway you want, sir. FedEx 247, yeah, we just need a minute to uh, run some checklists here. Uh, but we're turning 247, and we'll maintain between three and 4,000 feet. Roger. Okay, the depiction shows them on a downwind, a left downwind, north of the field. FedEx 247, Toronto, how are things going? FedEx 247, uh, we're just finishing up our checklist. Uh, looks like we're stable here, but we will need to return to uh, Toronto. Okay, Roger that. Are you ready to come back now? Uh, stand by. Uh, and I see you in descent. Are you able just to level at three? We're doing at three. Yeah, we, you can start uh, making our turn. Turn three just needs to run. One or two more things, but we're ready to go back. Okay, I can turn you base now for uh, runway five. Uh, I guess you can. Okay, sorry, FedEx two forty seven. Just need to confirm you are able to take base turn now for runway five. Affirmative. Yeah, we're ready for a base turn runway five. FedEx two forty seven. FedEx two forty seven. Turn left, heading one five zero. Speed is your discretion. Left turn, heading one five zero. Speed our discretion. FedEx two forty seven. Roger. FedEx 247, when you have a second, I do need your numbers on board, please, sir, for the emergency. The trucks are waiting for you. Stand by, FedEx 247. FedEx 247, actually, we just need another delay vector. Okay, sir, are you able to roll out on a 240 heading? Yeah, we can do that. We can come back, right turn 240, FedEx 247. Yep, only if you're able to do so. Roger. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll maintain heading 240 and uh, we'll maintain delay vectors. We're just setting up the box. And uh, we'll be ready for landing here. Okay, not a problem. You just take your time. 240 on the heading. Let me know. You will give you as much delay as you need. Heading 240. Very helpful air traffic controller. Yeah, he's doing a good job, isn't he? He's Canadian. FedEx 247. Are we expecting a runway 5? It will be runway 05. Yep, they're all ready for you. All right, FedEx uh, 247 will expect runway 5. Thank you. Let me know when you're ready to turn back. And But then no, again, he is a Canadian. Back. Yeah. Right. That's what Liz said in the background. And uh, <laughs> is ready for the turn. And uh, please confirm you picked up the new ATIS information. Okay. And FedEx two forty seven, I got the numbers when you're ready, please. FedEx two forty seven. We have about uh, three hours, ten minutes of fuel and two souls on board. Okay, can you be a little bit more specific about the fuel? It's uh, jet yes, forty eight thousand four hundred pounds two jack. Forty eight thousand four hundred pounds, two souls. Thank you kindly. That's easier just to give the. No dangerous goods, I think. FedEx 247 confirmed no dangerous goods. Uh, that is uh, correct. We have no dangerous goods on board FedEx 247. Except for these lithium ion batteries. Looks like Nick Heading Camacho 0, 9, may be joining us, Jeff. Not sure yet. He's thinking about it. FedEx two forty seven clear for the ILS approach, runway zero five. Clear for the ILS approach, runway zero five. FedEx two forty seven heading. Anyway, uh, I think that's pretty much uh, the end of it. Um, they uh, landed safely, and uh, yeah, that's that's one of the folks in the uh, uh, live audience asked if that's something or no. Um, yeah. Actually, Sean, Sean H, did, yeah. uh, the guy that sent this in, 
asked if this is something that we cover in our sim training. And to be honest with you, I mean, maybe we do, but I, I don't remember ever having this scenario uh, in simulator training. I, I certainly have. Okay. Uh, we should. I think do it. perhaps perhaps more of an issue um, with uh, having our thrust lines out on the wings rather than on the fuselage. But um, uh, when you're on a twin-engine airplane, you're predicated to, to have enough power to cope with an engine failure. But a thrust reverser uh, that it deploys is a different kettle of fish because not only have you lost the forward thrust on that engine, you've now got uh, reverse thrust opposing your direction of travel. So it's not just going to be the lack of thrust. You're actually getting negative thrust out of that engine, whilst, and particularly whilst you've got it powered up. Uh, so it, it can be very dangerous on a twin-engine airplane with the engines out on pods. Of course, if you get reverse thrust, it'll cause an, an enormous yawing um, force, uh, which will twist the aircraft. Uh, and um, so not only will you slow, uh, the aircraft will yaw Good. in the direction yep. of the uh, engine fault. It's Good one of the few emergencies where, where the crew need to identify it quickly uh, and very confidently identify which engine it is, making certain you uh, throttle back the correct engine. <clears throat> and usually the immediate action is to bring that engine back to idle uh, and um, before you do anything, because the aircraft can go out of control fairly promptly if you don't uh, deal with it, particularly if it's uh, just as it happened to these guys not long after takeoff when they're still at a relatively slow energy state. Uh, and, um, you know, it can make life very difficult. Uh, on their number one engine, it is a podded engine out on the wing. I don't know if they're... Um, if their center engine on the fin has reverse it, do you know, Jeff? I don't know whether that has reverse or not. Maybe somebody out there knows. Um, yeah. We do have a, a great uh, comment from a C5 Galaxy driver, a Super Fred driver. Inadvertent TR deployment is the emergency that keeps me up at night in Fred. Yeah, in fact, I'm sure that he is well aware of that at least one accident that I can remember, maybe there are more, where I think they were taking off out of out of um, uh, Delaware, the Dover, Delaware, Dover, Dover. Uh, Dover Air Force Base. And uh, I think it was that's where they were taking off, or it may have been in Germany. I don't remember anymore. But uh, a fully loaded C-5, um, uh, either just after liftoff or shortly after liftoff, uh, the, uh, I think at least one of the engines went into reverse and, uh, ended up, they couldn't control the airplane and they ended up crashing, but maybe super Fred driver can kind of fill in more details for me. But I, I seem to remember something like that and I can understand why he, uh, that keeps him up at night, that scenario for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, in reality, uh, when you get a, a thrust a reverser deployed, warning more often than not the thrust versus has moved just enough to trigger the micro switch or the proximity uh, switch that uh, tells the emergency system or tells the system that the reverser has deployed but it hasn't fully deployed 
Um, so the way you can tell, usually tell the difference is the amount of vibration and obviously speed loss and uh, the yawing moment that occurs for the full deployment. But it doesn't matter. The immediate actions are still the same. Uh, you identify, obviously, get that throttle back and then into the QRH for the appropriate actions for your type, which can, which usually would involve, uh, in a severe case, shutting that engine down so that uh, you don't get any more negative thrust out of that uh, aircraft. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Super Fred Driver said it was Ramstein. Yeah, after, after I said Dover, I'm thinking, well, maybe I think it was in Germany. Uh, it was Ramstein Air Base in Germany and uh, the number one uh, deployed shortly after rotate and rolled the aircraft inverted. Yeah, that's, that's one of the critical engines. So, uh, yeah, yeah that, that would have been really hard to handle. And that, that rolling motion comes from the fact that you've had a severe yaw the, the advancing wing is going to have much more lift now. The the trailing wing, if it's if you're close to stall speed, might even be be in a stall condition, and the aircraft will roll very quickly uh, unless you can do something about it. Um, so yeah, that's that's a horrid thing to be in, uh, which is why there are usually so many interlocks built into uh, the thrust reverser system because it's definitely you, not something you want to happen uh, in flight. Horrible emergency. Nick Camacho, you're the next contestant in the <laughs> APG Prices Right hey. from his home studio hey, in the air capital. Nick. Low and slow pilot, AMP mechanic, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho. Hey guys, glad I could uh, drop in here. It's yeah, me great. too. Because I always enjoy Brilliant. playing your your sound uh, <laughs> bumper. Uh, yeah, we do have some questions for you on something we covered uh, earlier in the news segment, uh, but we're going to get to that. Um, hopefully, you can hang around long enough for us to ask you those questions. Uh, and no, I was just showing up for thirty seconds. Oh, okay. You just wanted to make your grand entrance and then leave. We hit a fame, and then I'll get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got about an hour left in the show, so yep. Uh, okay, great. All right, so uh, which uh, makes it uh, about the time that we normally play. The All Pilots Plain Tale. And uh, so that's what we're going to do here. And uh, the title of uh, today's Plain Tale is The Wood Duck Part 2. Take it away, old pilot. The All Pilots Plain Tales. The Wood Duck Part 2. This is the second part of an interview with the London Air Attaché for the Royal Australian Air Force, Woody, who was a fellow fighter pilot with me on 77 Squadron when I worked with the Australian Air Force. We continue Woody's story of his flying career at the point where he was out in Saudi Arabia flying the Hawk jet trainer. But uh, it, yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, some incredible uh, landscapes around around Saudi Arabia yeah. to fly around in. A lot of low um, flying. Yeah, a lot of low flying. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that must have been stunning. Yeah, I mean, around Riyadh was relatively flat. 
Um, Do you but, have any pictures back from that time? Uh, not airborne pictures, no. It was absolutely verboten. I mean, we didn't have... Oh, was it? It was pre-mobile phone days as well. So, oh, uh, what a shame. You had dedicated I cameras was, and cockpits. I was so. hoping you'd have some pictures of you merging with your shadow <laughs> over the I desert. Might, I might have some hawk photos like that <laughs> from oh, a little please. bit later on. Yeah, okay. So, a little bit later on, what happened then? Yeah, Next. so actually, I, so I ended up spending uh, about seven and a half years in Riyadh, came back to Australia, uh, and then in the space of about a year, year and a half, I was actually in the UK doing hawk training to go back to Saudi Arabia again. Oh, good um, Lord. You so, have been around, haven't you? Yeah, so I had actually uh, tried to get back in our Air Force, but the post 9 11 um, slowdown in airline recruiting resulted in our Air Force being overstocked with aircrew. Yeah. And therefore, there were no aircrew positions available for the likes of Yeah, me a lot back of in. people decided to dive back into their military service, That's right. didn't they? Yeah. When they realized their airline uh, prospects were drying up. That's right. Yeah, so I ended up going back to Saudi Arabia, and this time on the Hawk. So I was up in Tabuk in the top left corner. Lovely. Jordan. You guys made a great decision buying that Hawk, you know. It's not a bad little jet. Stuff the Italians there. Well done. (laughs) Yeah, so it was a Hawk 65, so old steam-driven dials, but uh, a nice little jet. So I did training here in the UK on the T1 for about four months before I went out. And then uh, went for the 65, and that was a that was a nice jet. And when you talk about terrain, I mean those in the RAF who've been deployed in Saudi Arabia will know what it's like. There's um, the four different quadrants around Tabuk are all different landscapes, but there's uh, there's an area down the southwest corner um, full of these massive rocky peaks up out of red flat desert. Oh wow! And there's a Star Wars Canyon equivalent there. Oh, wow. and there's lots of footage from the 1991 Gulf War and tornadoes smoking around that area and that must have been incredible low flying. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, and the Hawk is just one of the most lovely aeroplanes to take low uh, flying. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You literally yeah. your bottom is basically on the bottom of the aeroplane, so you can feel feel the desert beneath you almost. <laughs> so uh, I really enjoyed that time. We had a really great bunch of again contractors, which were Australian, Kiwi, British, New Zealand, South Africans, and uh, had a really good time. Really enjoyed my time up there as well. Oh, that's fa- that's fantastic. Uh, so uh, you you got on with all right with all these different nations? Yeah, yeah. You 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 had to adapt and adjust, but. Um, Particularly up in Tabuk, where it was it was it was lead-in fighter training as opposed to rear, which is basic training. They the the Saudi Air Force had a focus on you know developing frontline pilots, so Excellent. they were more they were more operationally focused, and therefore um, and just it was doing my core business. You know, I was a, I was a fighter instructor and was actually doing fighter instruction again. Yeah, yeah, yeah great. Uh, how long did that last? Uh, I just went there for two and a half years, uh-huh. um, and then yeah, I came out of Saudi Arabia. Actually, came back to Australia, ended up doing some. Uh, Hornet simulator instruction for a, uh, a friend of mine who started up his own company. Um, okay. But the draw, the draw of teaching the jet that I'd once flew, except it had now all this extra fantastic kit on it, like helmet-mounted yeah, sights they, they and radars. Yeah, they did some and... really good things to the Hornet after I left. I, I wonder if they were just waiting for me to exit before <laughs> they brought all these modifications. No, it took, it took a few a few more years than that. But um, <laughs> by the time I got back, having been away from Air Force for 13 years, um, the jet was, it flew the same, but it was a totally different jet. And that's the one thing I'd say. We only retired the Hornet at the end of 2021 out of the Australian Air Force. Uh, and we still say to this day, we only reached final operating capability of that jet about three or four months before retirement because it was designed to be upgraded the whole time. And yeah. we kept kept pace with the technology available. So the kit yeah. it had in it was just amazing. Flew better than it did because they, they improved the flight control system in it. Uh, so it was just an amazing jet to fly and fight in. Oh, and uh, it was the brilliant. most fun I've ever uh, had in How about airplane. the fatigue life of the Air Friends? Was, was it running out? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oh, really? We, you, you remember we went through cycles when you were in of, oh, oh we yeah, have to look yeah. after fatigue. And then it was like, no, it's not a problem anymore. Then, no, it's a problem again. 
the bottom line is it wasn't a problem in the long run, and uh, we had no. They did. They did actually rewing a number of our Hornets. They, okay. they replaced the. Sorry, not rewing. Sorry, the center barrel fuselage. They right. replaced on about. Don't quote me exactly. I think about eight to eleven airframes. Okay. But then decided it wasn't cost effective because they did some remodeling. So there was some cracking. Because the jets have been used well, pretty I hard. The fins were initially a big problem. That's right. Yeah. Well, we flew the jets a lot harder than the U.S. Navy ever designed them to to, to be flown. Well, so. you know those pussy Navy pilots. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd know from Williamtown. You know, you get airborne five minutes later, you're in the fighting airspace. Oh God, um, yes. And uh, you spent you spent ninety percent of your fuel fighting in the jet because it was only a, a ten minute transit back to base rather than absolutely anything longer. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so we we rode the jets hard and they performed so well in that time. So little wonder that we had some fatigue in some of them. But yeah. ultimately, we were not having to manage fatigue at the end of life in any of the jets. And um, the lovely thing was you were prepared to spend the money to keep them in the air. Yeah, that's right. And ultimately, while we had the original A models, you know, we called them A plus pluses kind of by the end because <laughs> we actually had the most capable A model Hornets, even even compared to some of the C models the US had in the world, um, just wow. by virtual the upgrades we've done. Wow. I'd love to hear more about that, but we'll have to do that when we're not talking uh, to everyone in the world. Uh, <laughs> so, the end of that, you uh, moved yes. on to? So, um, when I came back from Saudi, I rejoined, so did some sim instructor, rejoined the Air Force, and then I went through a number of training posts. So, I started on the Hawks, um, instructing as a flight commander on the Hawks. Right. I uh, went back to Hornet as a, as a flight commander um, in charge of air operational conversions. Uh, ended up being EXO of 77 squadron, so back oh, to my old, old stomping ground again. That was, that was yeah. up to that point, the most fabulous job, being uh, in charge of flying of, yeah. of your squadron with uh, you know, 14. Who was your boss? I'm just curious. So when I was there, it was uh, Ben Sleeman, who you wouldn't know from your days, uh, but uh, I actually instructed him about. on the Hornet way back Oh, you're when, joking. And then he leapfrogged me to become the CEO, and I was his EXO. But, uh, oh, dear. But again, it was a fabulous time. It, the, the squadron yeah. just uh, continued to be just an outstanding place to to. Well, wow, it always had a great reputation. It was a wonderful place to, yeah, to work. Absolutely. And then ultimately, I ended up uh, in Canberra doing our staff college, followed by a term in the... Poor ground pounder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I, I won't tell you that, unfortunately, <laughs> that was as our Hornets were deployed to the Middle East, and I missed out by three months on that. Uh, by going, I was writing essays at the time. That was very, very... That must have been so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you spend all your career doing nothing but training and preparing for this kind of an actual you know, operational mission, and then, that's boom, right. yeah, someone that's right. else goes. And unfortunately, it was just t- it's just timing. It literally is timing. Some have <laughs> the luck of timing. In my case, unfortunately, I missed out by three months and Damn. was writing essays instead. But c'est la vie. That's unfortunately how it worked out. But... um. Yeah, so I did F-35 project for a year, but then got selected to command our OCU. So I ended up back as a CO for three years as the last classic Hornet CO. Yeah, the to, to command a squadron flying Hornets must have been fantastic. I mean, the OCU we all treated as a squadron. Uh, was it a good job? It was. It was fabulous. The best, the best job I've had in my life. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, not just, obviously, I got to fly routinely, so I still fly four times a week minimum, um, and I got to command 160 of the best people in, yeah. in the world. And all those lovely dinners and things, because I remember our graduation dinner, uh, you know, with with great fondness. And you're doing that on a regular basis and seeing basically all the new pilots in the Australian Air Force yeah. come through your hands. That's right. New fighter pilots. Yeah. Then, and two fabulous memories at the end of my end of my tour there. Uh, the very last flight I did, we brought one of our KC-30, so Voyager equivalent A330 tankers down to Williamtown on board and I took three jets up and we had our families watching us refuel off the uh, anchor How alongside. How cool them. was that? Uh, so that was pretty cool. 
And um, and then the as it worked out, we had a Hornet ball at the end of that year as well as I re- hand, handed over command. Um, and I got to, as a final classic Hornet CEO, farewell the last course of Hornet students oh. as they graduated to their squadrons, including 77 Squadron. And I also got to meet the original classic Hornet CEO from 2 OCU when I, you know, before my time, uh, who was there on the night. And there I was with him as the last, uh, the last classic Hornet CEO on OCU. So, it was uh, end to what had been a fantastic Hornet, Hornet career for me. Was there anything extra special you did for that final course? No, we still had to get them through training. So, yeah. we did the standard thing. We did a, uh, you know, a fly pass down around Newcastle. We wanted to get down as far as Sydney, but we weren't, weren't allowed to at the time. Unfortunately, just due airspace issues, et cetera. Uh, what a um, shame. So, we did a big formation fly over the day prior to the tanker, the tanker sortie. Yeah. Um, that, that's special, isn't it? And I'm so, yeah. I'm so impressed that you had Airbus tankers. Right. There you go. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Americans. They listen. are a good tanker. Yeah, that's right. Very good tanker. We've got them as well. Did you, you have. know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you did. You're missing the boom, though. We've got the boom as well. Uh, yeah, well, that's only to appease our United States Air Force cousins. Yeah. Um, so you finished your job on the OCU? Um, yeah, so that's so, yeah, just over three years ago now. So I got promoted, um, got, to, uh, got to group captain level and ended up going good outside man. of Air Force and ended up in a joint job uh, doing joint planning at our Joint Operations Command and then subsequently into our, what we call our Strategic Centre doing force design planning for the whole of the Australian Defence Force. So cool. very much out of my swim lane. Um, um, learned that I really would prefer to be in a cockpit, but uh, <laughs> it was it was a, an amazing experience. Well, someone's got to push the paper. That's right. And uh, we have to, you know, everything's joint these days, so it's important to understand how everything's working. So basically I was across basically every project we have in the Defence Force, what was going on in there. But it came to the end of that tour, I was trying to get back, or would have liked to have gone back as an OC of our F-35 wing. Oh, wouldn't that have been wonderful? Yeah. But again, timing-wise, my timing didn't line up. So, oh, uh, would he? <laughs> unfortunately, uh, that was not to be. So uh, I literally looked at the list of jobs available for me next, and I, I couldn't find any good Air Force jobs I really wanted. And then I looked at the international jobs, and London was on offer. So I figured having done my three years in joint jointery, I wanted back in Air Force, and what better Air Force job if I couldn't fly than to represent Air Force in an uh, air attaché role overseas. And my first choice, I put my name in the hat, went through a selection board interview process. Oh, right. Uh, they didn't I mind your haircut? They didn't at all, no. I think, I think they actually still appreciate it. Everyone does. Uh, I'm just going to make – because you, you may not – I'm going to take a picture. You may not realize Woody has the same damn haircut. He joined the Air Force with, I'm it sure. It is not the same. It's not and as flat. It, <laughs> it looks <laughs> nearly identical. And I'm going to put up a couple of pictures, one of him now and one of him back when he was lounging by the pool in Darwin. <laughs> and he's got just about the same flat top. So, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to say I've still got the hair. That's a good thing. <laughs> <Well, thing. laughs> congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, out here in London is, is the air and space, but only space for another 20 days. Attaché. That's right. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's an amazing opportunity for both myself and for my family. So a wife and a 10-year-old daughter here with me. Um, so perfect timing, um, amazing experience. Obviously, Australia being, as many would know, so far around the world, to get over to Europe is quite the adventure just to get here, let alone then tour around. So the opportunity to live in the UK and travel both the UK and Europe 
um, is just incredible. And you're going to be a busy chap because I gather this is actually a full-on job over yeah, here. Yeah, it is. So apart from, I mean, Washington's our biggest presence, but uh, the UK, especially now with, well, not, not especially with AUKUS, but because of the increased relationship under the AUKUS agreement, um, there is a lot of stuff going on. So uh, pretty much I took over the end of December, uh, and since then it's been nonstop until about May. We've got a couple of weeks breathing space right now. Uh, we've had numerous visits, um, joint staff talks, Lots of engagements, both formal and informal engagements with other defence attaches and the RAF. Um, but I've had, I mean, the good fortune to um, attend, you know, the 617 Squadron Dambuster Memorial Service at oh, St. Wow. Clement Danes that... Church just across the road from the Yeah, it's almost, if we stood, climbed out of this pub and looked down the street, we'd, we'd be able to see it. It's right we? there. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. There. And so that was, uh, was really special. I actually delivered a reading you know, on behalf of the Australian contingent of 617. Of course, Squadron. there were Australians as part of 617 Absolutely. during the, the Bambusters raid. That's yeah. right. And yeah. not, not all of them made it back. No, they didn't. No, no. no that didn't. must have been quite a touching moment. It was. No, it was very, very moving. Um, similarly, I'm invited to Battle of Britain Memorial um, that will happen in a few weeks' time. Uh, I've attended a Bomber Command Support, support Group Memorial. There's dining in nights and things. I had the really good fortune, given the RF's retiring its C-130 fleet as yeah, of today, yeah, last yeah. flights today. Uh, we have an exchange officer who was flying C-130s up until last week and had the good fortune to actually go flying with him in a C-130 as well oh, brilliant. Um, as brilliant. part of that close down. And uh, yeah, thanks to the RF for facilitating that. They were more than happy to allow us to go and uh, uh, th- that. Is, that. that is fabulous. fantastic. So um, how far through the tour are you? Uh, so I'm only six months in. I'm on a three-year three year tour, so... Uh, I, I say to people, our bucket list is as tall as I am, but three years is only about half my half my height. So um, we've got a lot to get through in three years. So I might get a chance to come up to London and have another beer with you and another chat? Ex- expect so. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Well, thanks very much indeed for giving us your time. Uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's great to see Reliving you. Reliving these wonderful memories. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks. Thanks. Good stuff. Yeah, what a lovely guy uh, Woody is. And uh, he's got a wealth of uh, stories. We only really touched the surface, but uh, it was great to see him again after all these years. Anyway, um, yeah, it was really good, really good. And so uh, that was part two. Is there is there going to be possibly a part three, maybe? Uh, if you no, no well, they may be up. sometime in the future because yeah. uh, Woody's a fascinating guy with uh, – um, a very rich flying history, uh, and um, I'd love to chat to him again in detail about some of his exploits. But uh, cool. um, he was very nice to chat uh, to us, but uh, I think for anything more in-depth, he'll need a little bit of uh, formal permission, uh, <laughs> which might be hard to ad- obtain, but we'll mm-hmm. see. Okay. Very good. Now, I mentioned before we started uh, the plane tail uh, to uh, Camacho, that uh, there was something earlier in the show, uh, it was news item uh, E, I believe, 01E, uh, regarding the Cessna Cardinal uh, accident in uh, Hot Springs. And uh, it was part, part of the narrative here, they were interviewing the, uh, the student pilot that survived this crash. And, and uh, I highlighted it, uh, Camacho, as, as the passenger stated, she repositioned the elevator trim wheel to a full nose-up pitch trim position while the pilot radioed Mayday on the CTAF. And I just thought, and, and Nick and I were discussing this, and obviously we don't have extensive experience 
uh, in GA general aviation. Uh, is this, is that like, does that strike you as something that you would think is a good thing to do or, or, or well, not? so, uh, you know, it's worded. I think it kind of depends on what they're doing, right? Cause you, you want to trim to, uh, best glide, right? So you take the, the control forces off now that the, um, that this airplane, and I just did a little poking around real quick after you mentioned that. And it looks like, uh, some of the Cessna models do trim out pretty, um, pretty close to glide speed with most or full nose up pitch trim. Um, so I, th I think it is possible that, uh, the pilot may have said, Hey, trim the nose all the way up. And he was aware that the airplane would fly that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. The weirder part to me is that the pilot was having the passenger trim the airplane. Yeah. Cause you know, to me, trim is a feel thing. So it, you gotta be the person flying the airplane to know if you trimmed right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what, uh, seemed unusual there to me. Yeah. That whole thing. I, I can't tell from the narrative if, if that was something that he asked her to do or she just kind of decided to do on her own. Um, right. Yeah. So that's kind of a question mark. Can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. Oh, Liz is asking me a question. Go ahead, Liz. C could they have been trying to position the plane to, uh, find the last of the fuel? Like, like was, was there any possibility they were trying to slosh the fuel around that was left? Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I guess that's a possibility, but, um, I, I don't know in, in my mind, if you, you know, if I were in the pilot seat and the engine quit and I was that low to the ground, uh, I think I would just uh, focus on flying the airplane to the ground. But that is, I guess that is a thought process that would go through somebody's mind. Thanks for uh, kind of uh, clarifying that a bit, um, Nick. And since we're talking uh, with you uh, at the moment, I, we, yeah. I will say one oh. other real quick thing about that, that yeah. I, I thought about a minute ago is mm -hmm. um, I, I think that that's probably uh, the hardest thing to do, or maybe not the hardest, but one of the hardest things to do in aviation is when you have a situation or emergency and you can see the runway, uh, fighting the tendency to try to make the airplane fly to the end of the runway when it can't, um, is just super challenging. I almost failed my check ride for my, for, for my private pilot license for a, for a similar reason, right? When we did the simulated engine out, he put me right over the airport and I maneuvered my way in and I was like, Oh, I think we're going to make it. And I just, I pulled back a little more and then I pulled back a little bit more and he said, okay, go around. And when, <laughs> and that was the last thing I did. And, uh, and then he didn't say anything and we flew all the way back and he didn't say anything and we landed and I didn't know if I had passed or not. And he started writing out my ticket and he finally just said, uh, good job. You did fine to the very end. What you tried to do on the emergency landing is what kills people in aviation. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. Well, it's <laughs> definitely something that you'll, uh, yeah, you remembered. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But you know, it's just, it's one of those things where, um, unfortunately it's, uh, you look at it and you're like, Oh, this could be such a good outcome. If I just pulled a little bit more and I could keep the airplane in the air for another two or 300 feet. Mm -hmm. And it goes from a imminently survivable situation where you land with the wings level and you ain't land in the dirt or maybe in a, in a uh, brush line or something to 
losing control of the airplane and then not landing wings level. And then it becomes, you know, a crapshoot in terms of survivability. Yeah. That, uh, that speed, you know, the, it's kind of insidious how it bleeds yeah. off. Yep. So All what's right. he been doing? So what have you been up to, uh, Nick? Uh, I just got back into town uh, yesterday from a work trip out to California. So I was out there for a couple of weeks. And now I am uh, trying to catch up in the few days I'm home before uh, me and my son depart for Oshkosh on Wednesday Ooh, morning. Awesome. So, yep. So we when do you think you might work. get up there to uh, Oshkosh? Well, so we're flying into Milwaukee. So we're flying uh, the airlines. Okay. And we're flying into Milwaukee and then renting a car and driving the rest of the way. So I think probably mid-afternoon uh, we'll be in Oshkosh on Wednesday and we'll be there Wednesday night, Thursday, and Friday. And then probably leave uh, Friday evening and head back to Milwaukee, get a hotel room, and then our flight back home is first thing Saturday morning. So, cool. I think Steph said something about trying to get up there, what, Thursday and Friday? Is that right, yeah, Liz? Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, I think so. I can't yeah. really recall, but yeah. I remember exactly what, what you said, but in the latter part of the week. Well, maybe I need to go up there, too, uh, the latter part of the week. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. That'd be great. Yeah. We're not going to do anything, you know, fancy like a show or anything, but it'd be kind of fun to see you guys and maybe record something, you know, just off the, off the fly. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. It was a, uh, it took a little bit to, to convince my son to, Mm -hmm. uh, come along with me. And he's, as I've mentioned a couple of times before, he's really getting into aviation. So I think he's excited for that part of it, but I think Mm -hmm. there's a, a little bit of trepidation just because, uh, you know, it's Oshkosh is such a big deal for us and it's, uh, and we talk about it so much. And then, uh, you know, uh, I don't think my wife helps, you know, when she talks about, she kind of comes at it from the standpoint of like, are you sure you want to take him? Like it's going to eat into your Oshkosh and you know, you're going to, I'm going to have to Aww. do something, you know, you're going to have to cut back on the things you do, which is true, but, um, I'm pretty excited to go, uh, take yeah. him up there and, Oh, I think it'll be wonderful everything. to take your, your son along. You'll have a great mm-hmm. time, Nick, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. That that the time That'll that uh, yeah. you know, you know, fathers and sons can spend together is is just you, you don't realize how important it is until you know later in life when you lose your father well, and you think, I oh, I never and had I've, the time to. And I that. wasn't sure, you know. Obviously, ten years. My, so my son just turned nine. So I guess not ten years ago, but like uh, before I had kids and. Even when I just had my kids, I you know it was always kind of in the back of my mind if we'd make it up there, you know, while my dad's uh, still going full steam and everything. And I've had, you know, I've had friends whose parents have passed away shortly after they had kids, and we talk about like stuff they thought they were going to be able to do and didn't quite make it. So um, well, I have a great I'm pretty time. excited to to get up there with Daddy and Gannon. So it'll be fun. That's going to be awesome. Excellent. Okay, you got about right. 40 uh, minutes We got left, about Jeff. 40 minutes, really that much? Um, well, 35, maybe. About 30, 35. maybe a half an hour, a little over uh, <laughs> left. Um, and so uh, if you guys don't mind, we'll continue uh, with the uh, feedback. And this, oh, okay. So we we're hoping, yeah, I know many of you have wondered, uh, is that uh, Miami Rick uh, guy ever going to be back on the show? And uh, we're hoping, uh, <laughs> something. we were actually holding this, uh, to the side a little bit, hoping that, um, that Rick would be able to join us and cover this as well. But, uh, we're just going to have to push on and do it without him. Um, but you'll see why we were thinking about holding this for, uh, for Miami Rick. 
Uh, he has is, seen it though. He has seen, he has seen this. Yes. Um, this is from Matt. Uh, his first time feedback flying with Miami Rick. Hello, APG crew. I've been listening since 2017 while working on ratings and have neglected to send any feedback, but I intend to rectify that today by sharing a recent experience with one of my captains. Before I share the story, here's a little about my uh, aviation journey for anyone interested in making a career change, but I'll spare most of the details for brevity. I transitioned out of an engineering career in 2019, and then I instructed for a year before getting hired by Republic Airways in 2020 as I was hitting the magical 1,500-hour mark. Unfortunately, COVID hit a few months before my class date, so I got the opportunity to instruct for another year and wait for the world to open back up. Finally, in 2021, I started with Republic flying the Embraer 175. Needless to say, it was a bit of a rocky start to this whole airline career idea, but at least I had the APG to help keep the dream alive while I waited. Uh, In 2022, with only 600 hours of turbine time, I was offered my dream job in the right seat of a 747 and based in Anchorage, Alaska. Now, fast forward to a few weeks ago. I've been finished with training now for a few months and settling into a routine. I showed up for a flight from Anchorage to Korea with another FO and a captain that I had not flown with before. The captain needed a landing, so it was going to be his leg, and the other FO would be the pilot monitoring since he hadn't flown in a couple of weeks and wanted the seat time. Therefore, I got to do the walk around, make coffee, and help out from the third seat. During the flight, the captain asked us new FOs how to tell if the plane was accelerating correctly on takeoff roll. I knew I'd heard this discussed on the APG, but I couldn't remember all the details. It's something about 20 seconds to a certain speed, maybe 80 knots, or was it V1? It's been a while since I'd heard the episode and the details were cloudy. Before I knew it, he was explaining the process at length and something clicked. I realized that I was sharing the flight deck with none other than Miami Rick. I couldn't believe it. I knew he had recently transitioned back over to the 7-4, but I hadn't heard him talk about finishing training yet on the show, so I assumed he was still in training. Also, with around 3,000 pilots in the company, I figured it might be years before our paths crossed, so I simply wasn't on the lookout. Well, I can confirm to the APG community that Miami Rick is just as passionate at teaching new FOs in this company on how to be safe pilots as he is about sharing his wealth of knowledge on the show. Over the next few days, our schedules kept us together from Anchorage to Korea to Thailand and finally Shanghai, where we split off in different directions. He continued to share his knowledge the whole time, whether it was helping to decode the Chinese ATC instructions or finding the fastest route through customs in Thailand. Also, I got a master class on energy management when the Korean controllers left him high and fast while vectoring him to final. We did not need to go around, but it was fun to watch how he managed the situation. Miami Rick, it was a pleasure to fly with you, and I look forward to more flights in the future. I'll try to finish it up here by saying thank you to all the APG crew for the knowledge and positive outlook on this career that has been shared over the years. It was a bit intimidating to jump careers and navigate the process from zero hours to a destination airline. Listening to this podcast has always provided positive reassurance that I was making the right decision, and I couldn't be happier with the outcome. Thanks to you all. Matt up in Anchorage. Wow. Love it. Congrats to you, Matt. Love it. Very nice. Nice job. And well done, Rick. Uh, Well well done, Miami Rick. 
Yes. You didn't chew his head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you always wonder, okay, the, he comes across a certain way on camera, but what is he really Yeah, like? exactly. Yeah. Ooh, Walter <laughs> Mitty there. I love that too. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, it, well, it, it says a lot to hear that from you in the community uh, giving us that kind of p- feedback, not only on having an experience with a particular crew member, uh, but also just the the podcast as a whole that sometimes, you know, we don't, you know, we, we enjoy doing this, but we're not sure that we're really doing any good uh, in the, in the aviation community uh, overall. And uh, it's just really nice to hear that we, and we've heard many of these kind of stories uh, in the past and that just really kind of lifts us up here uh, at the uh, APG. And so thank you for, for letting us know that it did make a difference. Yeah, I was particularly interested in the being left high and fast and how Rick recovered because knowing that the 747 flies like a house brick, you just closed. Number three. He was ready for it. You just closed the throttles. (laughs) (laughs) It'll drop like a stone. (laughs) Moving on. Oh, my. All right. Half an hour left. Okay. Uh, Half an hour left. Okay. Uh, Uh, That's it. I've had enough. I won't do any more, promise. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Kick him off the show. Um, All right. You've had your fill of uh, Boeing bashing for today. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Oh, Drew uh, writes in uh, Smoky Bear question. Here in the Midwest, we have been plagued with days of smoke and air quality alerts from the wildfires in Canada. Well, I know it's not great for the performance of the human body. It got me thinking, does the smoke and particulates hamper partic- uh, performance of aircraft, uh, especially the engines, uh, or specifically the engines? If so, how do you adjust? As I'm guessing, it's not often a problem that occurs. Love listening to your show, and if this has already been asked, I apologize. I'm a few episodes behind. Fair skies and tailwinds, Drew Pollock. So... Um, Captain Nick, I think you, uh, said you did a little bit of research on, um, uh, smoke from fires and impact yeah. on jet engine performance. Yeah. I dug around a little bit. I mean, first of all, from my own experience, um, whilst we're very cautious of, um, volcanic ash plumes, uh, forest fires and, um, just that kind of, uh, smoke and soot in the air, not so much. In fact, uh, we don't avoid it at all. So I uh, well, assumed that it would have no impact or very little impact. So I certainly, I think the dilution uh, when you're at cruising altitude is um, so high that you're going to have negligible, if any, uh, effects. And if there are any, they'll be very long term. And uh, before anything builds up and becomes a problem, the engine will probably have been through an inspection and, um, you know, they'll have discovered it. But, of course, for specialist aircraft like uh, those that fight forest fires, they're in that sort of environment much more often. And uh, I found a thesis written by um, uh, Hunter uh, Charles Janes, um, specifically dealing with uh, the effects on jet engines and uh, of uh, particulates. And uh, even though the sort of particulates you get from uh, volcanic ash are very dangerous because of their tendency in the high temperatures in the engine to uh, um, melt and become glass-like and adhere 
to the turbines and the compressors uh, blades and affect their performance and they're uh, very cor not corrosive but they're very abrasive so they wear down very quickly uh, the blades they can they can change their shape. They can uh, uh, affect them so that the engine effectively becomes, uh, or it starts stalling. The airflow will no longer go around the blades uh, in an efficient manner. Um, the to a certain extent, or the, the be it much lesser, the same can occur with soot particles and other uh, carbon particles that uh, come off uh, forest fires. Um, so, yes, it, it is a problem, uh, but I think it really only needs to be addressed by those who frequently um, put their aircraft into that kind of an environment um, at the concentrations that might cause a problem. And the, the basic uh, summary was that if you're going to operate uh, forest fire-fighting aircraft, um, be particularly careful if they're turboprops because uh, of the design of those engines. Uh, but regardless, uh, you need to do more frequent engine inspections to check for uh, damage, corrosion, buildup, etc. cetera, uh, in the core of your engine. Excellent. Um, Camacho, does um, smoke affect or have any effect on GA aircraft? Uh, I, I don't think substantially, you know, m most airplanes are, uh, using air filters. So the air filter will catch a lot of the larger particulates, um, in terms of efficiency. Uh, I don't know, you know, that becomes more of a density of air type of issue. And so if the, if the smoke is warmer and has a and it is less dense than the surrounding air, then that would have a mild impact on engine performance. But uh, in terms of just, uh, I, I think he's talking about like the broader scope of like the giant amounts of smoke coming down from Canada, but you know, just in generally in terms of uh, localized forest fires and stuff like that, it's more of a, the larger area is, is generally more governed by uh, maintaining a safe space for the firefighting airplanes than it is uh, concerns for other airplanes flying around. So a lot of times you'll have to be more concerned with uh, not broaching any TFRs around forest fires as they keep the area clear for the firefighting airplanes. And then um, that keeps you away from a lot of the Micah smoke. Micah has a good comment here, Nick. Uh, At Jeff. least in my limited experience. The cabin air filter. <laughs> Yeah, Micah says, uh, and don't forget to change the cabin air filter. Mm -hmm. That's a nice reminder. Absolutely. Great, guys. Um, Number 11. Okay. Audio feedback. Uh, we have some audio feedback on the uh, next one uh, from, oh, JJ Pittsburgh. And let's hear what he has to say. Greetings, APG crew. It's JJ Pittsburgh. Um, hey, I was thinking about this. Um, I, we, you know, you have the meetups for APG and, you know, you do the audio feedback from, from the, uh, meetups and all that kind of stuff. If anyone knows me, um, they know that I'm a, I love connecting. I've met up with many members of the APG community 
including um, Captain Dana, uh, Captain Jeff plenty of times, Armando, um, you know, all the network of people, Dr. Steph, and I love it. I'm a people person. And anyway, I was thinking about it. I've been going on a lot of dates lately and because I'm getting myself out there. I'm a single guy. I uh, just uh, kind of getting myself out there. So what I was thinking would be interesting is put out kind of a um, just a notice that that would be a fun type of meetup if there is a single lady that's in the APG community that uh, would like to meet up at some point. I'd like to take them to dinner and who knows what will happen. But, you know, we could do it as a thing for the show. We could send in feedback from it and find out what happens, you know. Uh, I just thought that would be a fun idea. Um, Also, if you guys know me at all, you would know that I'm on the road a lot. So this is definitely doesn't have to be a local JJ Pittsburgh type of thing. This could be, you know, probably anywhere on the East Coast at least. We could like work something out someday. You know, I went to Oshkosh last year, so who knows? Maybe we could end up going to a, you know, an air show together or something, whatever. Uh, I figured I'd throw it out there, you know. Um, Throw it at the wall, see if it sticks. And it would be a fun idea maybe for some feedback to, uh, to, you know, I always think of, uh, new and fun ways to, uh, present feedback. So anyway, um, I hope all is well and anyway, peace and love, peace and love. (laughs) Peace and love, peace and love. Always good to hear from JJ. Pittsburgh. Uh, interesting idea. Uh, Liz uh, immediately uh, notes that uh, she is not going to take on the task of running the uh, APG dating app. <laughs> uh, see, you're a better person than me, Jeff, because if I saw that note, I would have read that out as Liz 100% volunteers to run that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then she would have 100% corrected you uh, that you're misreading. <laughs> well, yeah. since oh, Tiffany's wow. not here to defend herself, perhaps, I think, I think um, we should get I our librarian to set that up. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, uh, she seems to be a very busy person. I don't know if she has enough time in her life for that either. But, you know, you you, you kind of hinted at it, uh, JJ. I think that um, just having a meetup and it self starting and, and you you guys get out there you can self start your own meetups doesn't necessarily have to be an APG branded meetup you could it'd be an aviation podcasting meetup or whatever you want to call it um, and uh, I mean they're always fun for us to to attend for sure but you know if you are living in a certain area of the country let's say Pittsburgh and uh, you know I know we have several listeners up there in the Pittsburgh area we'll publicize and, uh, it yeah we'll definitely uh, publicize it and uh, and you could even make a little meetup report and you could send that in and uh, and we could play it and make it that uh, a segment of our show and uh, I know uh, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. They they do this very thing. They have they have meetups all around the country, all around the world, actually. And uh, they uh, usually record something and send it in, and it's actually a segment of the of the show every week or every every twice a week, actually. So um, and that's a great way to meet people, like minded people. Um, and you never know, you might just head it off with somebody. 
um, that has uh, shares the same kind of uh, you know, values and the same kind of passion for aviation, etc. So uh, I think that's the way to do it. Are you available to sing at their weddings? Am I available to sing at their wedding? Um, could be, oh, might yeah, be. Yeah. I'm not going to be really, really busy. Uh, I was going to say in a couple of months. Pretty, surely you will. I can just imagine you doing Ave Maria um, as the bride walks I, down I could do that. Aisle. I could do that. Yes. Although I've never sung that uh, solo myself. I, I've, uh, I've heard it uh, sung um, by a, a lovely female uh, voice. Um, actually, it wasn't a wedding. It was uh, two funerals that I've sung at uh, oh in, uh, recently. Oh, perhaps we but, should um, think, think of something more. But I don't think it's necessarily. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe something more uplifting. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and you know what? JJ is quite a singer as well. In fact, uh, JJ, we haven't heard uh, about your um, your your progress or your whatever uh, yeah, in that area, career. your recording career. Uh, but um, you know, he's he's a really good singer. So. Um, Excellent. Anyway, so uh, that's uh, some food for thought, I guess, JJ. Thanks for sending in the audio, and it's always good to hear from you. And so if anybody else out there has any idea, but again, we encourage people to get together and uh, spend some time each other with each other. And talk about us behind and talk our about, backs. Oh, yeah, so you can talk about us behind our backs. And, uh, yeah, and then you know, let us know that you did that and send and in the uh, evidence and dr- yeah, drink beer, cocktails, whatever, good food, good, uh, good, uh, company. And, company, uh, yeah. yeah. So I like it. We're going to skip down to 20 <laughs> and I don't know if, uh, if Steph, if you're uh, listening while you're driving in the car right now or not, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you might get a kick out of this. This was sent in from, um, Mike Smith, uh, the Sonics, uh, driver. I think I'm saying that right. S O N E X, right. Sonics. So, uh, to set this up a bit, um, the reason why Mike thought it would be funny for Dr. Steph to, uh, go to this seminar at air venture this year. Uh, is because in uh, I, don't, I forget which episode it was, but it was it's one of the my favorite episodes of all time when uh, Doctor Steph um, <laughs> uh, had a, a a couple of beers and she was very very tired and she decided to read this very very technical um, paper uh, or an excerpt uh, of it and it had something to do with shimmy dampers and we were just just laughing uh, our heads oh, off because uncontrollable. <laughs> it was so I much fun. Steph. We she do love it. Laughing and she was stuff. quite insistent. She was going to finish it. it yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, she was. And regardless of all the laughing that she heard in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, she probably thought, well, what are they laughing at? There's nothing funny about this. Well, yeah, you're right. There was nothing funny about the actual uh, text, but the way you were reading it was pretty funny. Anyway, so the uh, seminar, the perfect seminar that Mike thinks that you should attend, uh, Steph, is Engine Mounts and Shimmy Dampers. That's uh, Monday. Oh, unfortunately, it looks like she's going to miss it. It's Monday uh, morning, 10 a.m. to 11.15 Central Daylight Time. And, oh, uh, that's a shame. Yeah, it says, join Emily Mogul, a mechanical engineer, for a few beers and a talk about Shimmy Dampers. <laughs> No, she doesn't say that. Um, but she is going to talk about general aviation engine mounting systems, designs, installations, and maintenance, and also about uh, the technology behind fluid-free shimmy dampers. There will be a chance to win promotional items following the presentation. So, uh, anyway, maybe a six-pack of great Wisconsin IPAs. You never know. Good idea, Mike. Love and it. Uh, I know that he's. Uh, I'm sure he's already there. In fact, he may be 
as we speak, flying into Air Venture right now in his Sonics. Okay. Do you want to um, do you want to wrap it up, Jeff? Yeah, I think wrap it up with uh, number eighteen from Shannon. Things that make you go um. Okay, let's do yeah. that. Uh, we're going to wrap it up on a lighthearted note uh, from this feedback from Shannon uh, Vitsum. Uh, things that make you go hmm. Uh, discovered your show about six months ago and have become an avid listener. Well, thanks, Shannon. Great to have you with us. Uh, while on vacation in Myrtle Beach a couple of weeks ago, we pulled up behind this vehicle at a stoplight. I asked my wife to take a picture of the license plate and send it to me. And are we looking at that now? Yeah, yeah it's we up are. There. So there's yeah. the picture, and it uh, shows a license plate, a handicap, this is appropriate, a handicap <laughs> license plate uh, in North Carolina. And uh, the letters on the plate are, and letters and numbers, APG 2. I wonder where APG 1 is. Must be somewhere in North Carolina. Does, does Armando live I assume in North you already Carolina? had that one. Oh, yeah, we uh, did. Reserved for the. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, maybe APG that's reserved for one of the crew members. The there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which one, though? I don't know. I'm not sure. It's, uh, it's <laughs> Toyota. You've got a Honda, don't you, Jeff? Yeah, um, I do, and it has South Dakota <laughs> plates on it. Um, let's Doesn't see. Armando live in Armando North does live in North Carolina, so he could get it. But I don't think he, he'd want PTUK dash one, wouldn't he? Yeah. Oh, that, those yeah. are probably all gone. They're yeah. so popular. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, so that That's does make it kind of go well hmm. spotted. Anyway, thanks, Shannon from Iowa. He says, "Keep up the good work." Thanks. All right. And we got uh, some leftovers, but we'll get Yeah, we do have some leftovers, some really good uh, feedback left over, including a couple of videos from uh, Gubby and uh, a disgusting one and from a, Tim. And a very disgusting one. I'm kind of glad that we didn't get to this one. Yeah, from, so uh, am I, because I was from, the one destined to read yeah. this. And I Tim was Van going, Ram. Oh, really, Tim Van Ram really has outdone himself on this one. Thank you, Tim. Of course, yeah. he had to go out early, so yeah. he didn't listen either. Anyway, so we're going to save all those and more. Uh, maybe some feedback from you, dear listener. So uh, you can send feedback to us by sending to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Our website is airlinepilotguy.com, where we have lots of uh, things there. Um, you know, we tell you every week, you know, listen to an earlier show and you can hear them. No, you know what? Just go to airlinepilotguy.com. And you'll see for yourself all the great explore. stuff that we have explore. there. And you can explore to your heart's content. And we are also on social media, what I like to call the social meds, because I'm hip. Yeah. You're and All right. Nick is going to, Captain Nick is going to, you know. You say you've, you've got a new hip? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> new hip, man. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah, if you're a, a, a Facebook follower, then uh, just, just do a search for Airline Pilot Guy, all one word. You'll find us there. We uh, chuck all sorts of stuff in there. And uh, some, a couple of us or a few of us uh, have personal pages there, which you can probably uh, – find as well in uh if in twitter uh at apg apg crew is our handle which is very similar to the instas if you're an instagram person apg crew is what you're looking for and uh, then of course there is slack 
Now, he just landed up at Oshkosh now, yesterday. So. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, Hillel just landed up in Oshkosh. So I have a, a remote microphone um, stashed at one of the uh, bathhouses Shower up there in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, up at Oshkosh. And so let's see if it's working. I, I had a little trouble with it earlier. So let me see if I got all the bugs working. Are you sure you put it in the men's one this time? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I'm not sure where he is. Hillel. Hello, can you help us with Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. He's dripping wet up there as well. He's so excited. Um, <laughs> so uh, he's going to come over and to the microphone after he's toweled off. Actually, I sent a, a waterproof microphone so he can go ahead and tell us all about Slack right now. Go ahead, hello. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. We appreciate it. And uh, let's see. Let's go. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I guess the plumbing is working pretty well up there in the uh, the bath and uh, shower facilities up at Oshkosh. And we hope that you're uh, having a great time uh, following you with interest on social media. And maybe I'll get a chance to see you in person uh, later this week. And same thing with you, Camacho. Um, hope to see you there. And uh, it was great, as, uh, as I've said many, many times, it was great visiting with you, Nick, and, and, and sharing our time together um, the last uh, first couple of weeks in July. Oh, what else? Anything else to say uh, before we put this in the can, uh, Liz? Uh, oh, you want to thank Liz. Britt, come on. Come on in, Liz. What are you doing hiding over there? Hi, Liz. Just thanks, uh, thank Hi. Liz. For her uh, time, talent, and, miss and treasure, week. even. I'll be away yeah. next week, so you guys will be on your oh, own. Oh, no. Uh-oh. That's going to be a mess. All right. Hey, coming hey, in. We can have some fun. I kind of see the train wreck. Week. Oh, come on. You guys can handle it. I know you can handle it. Yeah, well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll do our best. Anyways, great and to see Nick Macho today. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Yeah, nice to see you, Nick. Definitely. Yeah, Thanks we for We can do an X rated version next week. Yeah. Maybe Steph will be there to pull. she can she can chime in with her own x-rated stuff all right (laughs) with that um i don't even know what that means uh with that we're going to go ahead and end this thing before i get into much more trouble and tell you uh wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds talons douglas bye everybody see you next time see you later in a couple of weeks yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, 